Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Dark Art Society podcast. My name is Chet Zar, your host. I have a great interview for you today. It was super fun. It went over three hours. That's how fun it was. Um, today is an old friend of mine and a guy who's widely considered one of the best mold makers in makeup effects, if not the best. He's amazing. His name is Rob Freitas, and uh, he's uh, definitely a fun guy to talk to, very energetic, and uh, it was really cool talking about the old days at Rick Baker's shop where I used to work with him, and uh, just his thoughts on the industry and you know how he got there in general. It was really, really fun interview, so I'm excited to bring that to you. Um, Okay, so let's get the business out of the way. Uh, let's see. Uh, you know what? Let's do the let's do the new subscribers because we got a bunch of new subscribers, which is great. And if you want to subscribe, just go to uh, Patreon.com/slash/DarkArtSociety, and you can sub- you can join just for a um, dollar, and uh, you get access to the Facebook group. And uh, we're working on the website even more now, so the website's going to change a lot. You can you get access to a, a members section of the website. Um, you get the podcast a day early, all that stuff, and and that's how it. Uh, that's how you, how this podcast gets done from your support. So let's see. Let me, let's go through the new subscribers. We've got Gert. Thank you, Gert. Stephanie Medeiros. Thank you. Uh, Christian Kristen Humphreys. Thank you, Kristen. Alejandro Diaz. Thank you. Um, K. Britton. Okay, uh, oh, they upped their pledge. Thank you very much. Okay, we got deletion, deletion. Jim McPherson is an old effects friend of mine as well. Really amazing sculptor. Thanks, Jim. And I'm not sure how to pronounce this. Ichor and Teeth. Ichor and Teeth. I think that's how you pronounce it. Anyway, thank you for your pledge. Amazing. Really appreciate it. Uh, so what has been going on with me? Um, I, I'm, you know, still working on the book. I had to go through and categorize every character and do a spreadsheet for what area of dystopia they exist in and what class and what type they are. It's really uh, kind of a lot of work, but really cool to um be getting to that point where it's like you know the graphic mackie the graphic designer needs that stuff to start plugging images in and uh i think i should have a new she has a new um updated proof for me waiting for me to check out or uh it will be soon she said so that's exciting so it's getting closer getting closer and closer um Uh, also let's, I, I had had a few more tool posters I had to do from, uh, in a, you know, a few other outside sources that sent me posters and, um, a couple of Patreon people I got to do just kind of orders I had hanging over my head. I haven't had a chance to get to, so I'm back to work in the studio, did a lot of cleaning, you know, after the holidays, everything was kind of chaotic. 
So cleaned up the studio, and uh, I'm really still just kind of getting back into it. I'm starting with those tool posters. Got a big-ass portrait I'm going to start, 24 by 30 portrait. And uh, if you want to watch that, because that's going to be – I should be starting that, I'm thinking, maybe next week or even the weekend maybe. I'm going to be live streaming that on my Patreon and um, turning that into a time lapse as well. But um, if you want to check that out and join my Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash chetzar. And I'm posting all kinds of tutorials and time lapses and all of my everything I'm working on basically is, is goes up on the Patreon and uh, special deals and all my merch. My new merch goes out to Patreon people first and all that. And you could join for just a dollar as well to start. So, um, well, I think that's, is anything else other than the, I've been watching a <laughs> agenda free TV a lot on YouTube. They cover breaking news. It's like the best news channel. It's so great. It's just one dude that does it. And, um, he covers breaking news just randomly whenever it's happening. And he does it by following a bunch of people on Twitter and he's connected all these different news feeds. And it's like, uh, because he's just one guy in, you know, in his bedroom broadcasting by himself, he's always beating the, the, uh, the regular big news outlets. It's crazy. So it's like, you know, the whole, um, insurrection thing. I was watching it practically in real time because he's going on Twitter and uh, sharing, sh showing clips of people he follows. So it's like you're seeing it as it's happening. It's it's just I'm surprised it's not a huge channel. I mean, he's got like a hundred thousand subscribers, but I don't know. It's just it's like the best news channel ever. So I've been watching that a lot because so much has been going on in the news. So um, that's it. That's it. Um, I guess that's all I have to say. Yeah, let's get on with the, the interview. This is a really, really fun interview. Super cool catching up with Rob and uh, great dude. Inspiring conversation. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. So here we go. Episode, what is it? 190. 190. Um. Rob Freitas. All right, here we go. What's up, Rob? What's up, Chet? Good Chet to talk Zarr. to you. To Rob Freitas. <laughs> what are you talking about? Rob Freitas, the mold uh, god. The mold uh, god. <laughs> I, yeah, whatever. Hey, <laughs> you know what? You just... You do what you like to do and let other people form their own adjectives. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, you know what? You're like, actually, when I went to Rick's is when I really got, I feel like I got like among the top professionals in the industry because I was at Alterian for a long time and people would come and go that were, you know, mm -hmm. every, a lot of great people there. You know, all the shops have great people because people yeah. bounce around. But when I got to Rick's, it was like everybody there was the best at what they did. They were the best. And then so... You were kind of like the first mold guy I ever met where people were just like, 
It's Rob. Rob's doing it. It's, it's you know, like, <laughs> is this a tough mold? Send it to Rob. <laughs> and then it was like, you had such enthusiasm for the mold making process, which I thought was so cool because it's like, you know, you know how people treat mold makers kind of like uh, it's course. like looked down upon. And it's like, this dude is treating it each mold like a work of art and they're beautiful pieces when they're done and they function perfectly as good as a mold mm. can get. And it was really like, you know, you real at that point you realize how important uh you know, not only every step of the process of makeup effects, but the mold making process in general is like if you don't have a good mold, you're pretty fucked. It's really important in the process. It's extremely important. Well, that that's also the house we were working in respected it that way too. Right. Yeah, that that was what was so great about Rick's. It's like Instead of how fast can you do it, it was how good can you do it, and that was yeah. always generally that was like the 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 bar to to try and hit, you know. For sure, it's. I mean, like you said, he assembled people. Like I think that's something he looked for. Like people that you could be serious about it, but have fun as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. It, like it, it. I feel for the people that never got a chance to experience I know. It, that. Like, you know, because I mentioned it and like, you know, my fiance, Beth, you know, Hathaway. Yeah, I, yeah. We're practically married. Right. You know, I've, <laughs> we've lived together for a long time. You know, she's my best friend. So she uh-huh. makes fun of me. She's like, all things lead back to Rick's. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like all stories. And I'm like, well, I spent the better part of like 25 years there. Are you serious? I started there at the end of 94. Wow. I didn't realize it. And, you know, to this day, like, you know, um, uh, up to like Halloween 2019, I, I still get the email and say, hey, uh, can you help me? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> have you, you, seen, look, you know, have you seen his uh, his Instagram? Are you are you watching? It's yeah, pretty amazing it's, what he's doing now. It, the idea that we used to search through magazines for a little black and white blurry picture <laughs> Right, right. And then you would you would mail it or magazines that would take six to eight weeks. Right. Like I, I think about that in contrast to the fact that this guy's posting his own shit every day. Right. And you can write to him, and he's responding. Like, yeah, it's aside crazy. Aside from the person that spent time in his shop, it's just as a fan, it's such a trip. I oh, mean, yeah. that's the big picture of the internet, like. You know, Rick's one of many that you could just you can look at something like it and then talk to the person that did it almost immediately. I know. Yeah. Yeah. People I mean, yeah, <laughs> people like us that grew up in the days of the six day <laughs> week uh, letter writing. You know, yes. it's like I, I wrote a letter to Dick Smith. That's how I talked to him. You know, it's like yeah. th- this is how we did it. Snail mail to to yeah. I, I say this all the time and I know it makes me sound old, but I don't give a shit. But it, people, you know, people that grew up with this don't realize it was like pretty archaic back then. Like like you're saying, it was like there was a, a small amount of pictures you worked from everyone yeah. had the sin effects that had the rick baker troll sculpture and you know oh, yeah. that one uh, uh, that one ma- magazine that everyone yeah. poured over and certain just famous monsters and, and fangoria certain ones that were just like had all the reference and a few stage makeup Dude, books and stuff like we that we know but the that numbers was, yeah 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 sin effects <laughs> number 16 right right <laughs> <laughs> Fangoria number nine, yeah. <laughs> famous monsters one hundred three. Like exactly, we were, yeah. we were we were nerds before it was cool to be nerds. <laughs> well, there is that too. 
<laughs> you know, if yeah. you go back into the 70s and early 80s, uh, yeah, my comic books were hidden inside my peachy folder. Because right. <laughs> I didn't want the older guys that were taller than me, jocks, to come and like, yep. tear up my stupid comic book. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Diff- different times back then. So yeah. I, go I, ahead. I, I, uh, I mean, I... You know, we worked together for I think five years at at um, mm. Rick's. That's as, that's how long I was there. I think it was like Grinch is what yeah. I started on. Remember, I was painting. I took over for Tom Gilliland painting Who Ears. Yep. You was know, that did, when Sideshow started? He was leaving to start it. I, I know yeah. that. That's when he was falling asleep. Remember, he was falling asleep. <laughs> Rick, I remember that one time. Rick walks by. I'm Tom's training me. I'm painting, and then it's like, and, and Tom's literally like this in the chair. Yeah. And Rick Rick walks by and looked at him and just shook his head and kept walking. <laughs> it's like Tom was over it at that point, but he went to go start Sideshow. That's why he was yeah. training me to paint. So it was just like who ears and some uh like two colors on hundreds of rubber who ears and Hunts. then and then just some like uh, Eddie Murphy appliances, I think for for Yeah, uh, Nutty too. Yeah, Nutty too. I was kind of yeah. doing some of that and the, and then um and so then, you know, and then I was there till the end when it ended, which which was crazy too, man. I talk about that yeah. a lot, the whole the end. It was it was so weird. And and it's like mm-hmm. I'd only been there five years and I was definitely like trying to get out of the business at that point. So I really right. kind of had this perspective to where I could look look at the whole thing and not be like, Oh, this is my dream crushed, you know? And it's like I was planning on working here the rest of my life. And it's like a lot of the people were, were like, Well, who wouldn't want to work there the rest of their lives? This is like the best job I ever had as far as makeup effects goes. So it was yeah. really a trip to watch it from that, that distance, you know? Yeah. For I mean, me anyway. you could kind of see it coming to that point. And, you know, a lot of it was just, you know, cause we did do shows after that. Like he came back for a few, uh, you know, like right. the, the Wolfman and men in black three. And, oh, and that's, that's true. That's true. That's Maleficent right. And like, but I can't imagine what it was like to pay the bills for that place in oh, the years in between. Oh, my God. I'm just, you know, it's like one of those things to where I love the fact that I had that experience. And I love that I can share it with some people that they'll understand it. Mm-hmm. It's like those that didn't work there, it's not just another shop. Right. It's, it, it's no offense to the other shops. It's just... I mean, you know, you walk in the fabrication department and they had like five or six washing machines and dryers. Yeah. Like they had ventilation chutes coming down like Blade Runner all over the walls. Right. You know, the mold shop was like huge, concealed, had like three spray booths in it. It It's like, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. That's why I always describe it as like working at Rick's, there was always time, almost always, there's always exceptions, but there was always time and money to do it right the way it's supposed to be done. And it was like, you know, if I, I probably would have never even left the industry if it, if that's how the whole industry was, you know, it was so mm. comfortable working in that working in a, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> in, a <laughs> in an environment like that. It was so fun. It was like, ah, we're not totally. I mean, one time Mitch did sculpt a a giant head of Johnny Knoxville in a day, but that was like a crazy. Oh. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, well, that's, like, every once in a while, I think people would be surprised, like. You know, because when Rick, like, I think it was around the time where Cursed couldn't make up its mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I went and worked at some other shops. There was, like, a break. And that was something that, 
I used to take great offense to, to be honest. I went and worked at a different shop. And some, the first thing that someone said to me in the morning was like, you know, this isn't Rick's. We don't have all that time and money. <laughs> and I looked at him and I'm like, oh, well then, okay. I guess you just think everything, like all the people over there, the only way that we do good work is if we have a lot of time. Oh, yeah. Money. No, I mean, when the, when the shit went down, everybody <laughs> was, was professional enough to like make it happen. Because it's like, yeah, yeah. you can do it. The, the the people that are really good at what they do can do it like that, but you don't want That's to it. do it like that. You only right. do it when you have to do it like that. Correct. And that, <laughs> like my my first day at the next job, um, there was two. There was another fellow at the table. We each got like a big, you know, like a a cowl, right? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be like a three piece ultra cow mold. Mm-hmm. End of day one, my three piece ultra cow mold was done. And of he course. had one side of his, <laughs> of course, you know, one of the three done. <laughs> And he looked at me and he's just like, what? I'm like, okay, of course you let a fire under my ass, but just don't undervalue the people at that shop just because it has a reputation for having time and money. Right, right. Because what should also be part of that conversation is the people at that shop are really fucking good at what we do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, pe- and people so, that are good can can do it, do it fast when they have to. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, if someone looks at me and says, look, I just need that done today. Okay. Yep. You know, we I have been doing it for almost 30 years. It's like we do have different speeds. Mm-hmm. and But, you know, the other thing, too, is the the part of the conversation that usually doesn't get spoken about is like, you know, like you were on Grinch. You know, they ran the molds for nine months. Right. <laughs> right. Yep. So you're making this mold and they're like, OK, we're going to let you make that mold. We're going to give you all day. The thing is, is when that mold's done. It better be really, really good. Right, exactly. Be- because Roland's going to use it over and over and o- like it's not just run it six times and put it on the shelf. Right, right. That was the other part of the right. equation. That's, that's like true. okay, we get time and money, but what you make, you better be able to build it to last, and it needs to work well the entire time. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. It's like I, I think that. Um, oh well. That's weird. My printer just went off. <laughs> Sorry about this printer noise in the background. Just oh, no my, my wife's printing something. Um, uh, that's the thing about another thing about Rick's. It's like the people that hired him expected the best, and Rick expected the best from us. So it's like where it was like he gives you the resources, and most of the time you get the time. Yeah, but he's also expecting like excellence. You know, it's like, so you have to bring, so there's pressure there to, it has to be great. It has to be as good as it can be. And, um, you know, so that, that's, that's the, uh, uh, one thing about the, 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 uh, some of the shops that don't, don't give you that luxury is that, you know, they tell you, oh, we don't have the time and money here. And they, and they kind of will they're they're okay with the fact that it's not going to be perfect because they know they're not giving you enough time and money but it's not yeah. it's not fun to make it not perfect that's the way i always looked at it it's, it's like right. it's fun once in a while to do something really fast and crazy cuz it's just it's like fun challenge but yeah. but the fun i always had was making it as good as possible that was always like the reward for me with a sculpture or a paint job or whatever it's like i want this thing to be amazing you know what yes. i mean that's the fun yeah. <laughs> I was that. For me, because it's a technical job, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the aspects that you got to get used to is unlike the artistic endeavors, like, say, a painting or a sculpture, um, 
you have like the materials are kind of a lot slower and sometimes you can redo things like you can go and retouch a paint job sometimes right right you can kind of change right your mind. right like a sculpture like most oil-based clays and like you know in the last 30 years the non-water-based clays were more popular and you can kind of noodle and change mm-hmm. some of the mindset that you got to get ready for if you're going to be a mold maker is like when you start the surface coat, when you start your mold, <laughs> the detail coat, uh, most of the time there's no turning back. Yep. Yep. So you kind of prep, you go through your steps, you go mentally through the steps, you try to think in advance, and then you know something's going to go wrong along the way. So, mm. you know, like you just got to get ready for the, okay, it has begun, no stopping now. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was. And, no, yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. One of the things I thought to ask you is, is what was? I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of pressure molding like a Mitch Devane sculpture or or a Rick sculpture for that matter. It's like mm. I, I don't know. To me, that would there would be a lot of pressure not you know to not fuck something up that one of these guys that's just so amazing is handing off to you. But I, I suppose you would get used to that after a while, maybe. Um. Uh, you don't really get used to it. Really? <laughs> no. That's I mean, a... I, but I also think that th- that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Because... Mm-hmm. Keeps the, you on your toes. Yeah, the apprehension kind of keeps you aware. You need to be conscious, you know, because materials change and every sculpture is slightly different. Right. So you're not just repeating steps. Right. You know, sometimes you'll miss a little detail and sometimes you can catch it and sometimes you can't. Right. So then you got to course correct while you're in the middle. And right, right. Up, you know, they come up later and they don't realize, like, I totally missed step four and seven. And, man, I hope this works. And people <laughs> yeah, walk up and right. they're like, man, that looks like an amazing mold. I'm like, can we celebrate after we get a piece out of it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The t- the, you know, like, the you, don't go, you don't sleep when you go home. Wow, really? Like, the hardest part for me was um, one of the things that, because Rick makes his own molds. So he's aware of the process and the steps. And one thing that he used to like to do, especially if it was his own sculpture, and this took a while to get used to, is the day you make the mold, you know, because especially when we started doing epoxy, it's an overnight cure. Right. So you do the work one day and you don't know about the results till That's the next true, day. That's true, yeah. <laughs> right? So that night, you got to get used to like not, you know, you got to leave it at work. Right, yeah, yeah. But when you first start working for people like that, you're like, you're so up and nervous. You don't sleep. Right. Yeah. And you come in early the next day. Right. And so eight o'clock and you're opening up the mold. It wasn't uncommon to have Rick coming in the mold shop at like 801. <laughs> Walking directly to your table, especially if it was his work. Right. Yeah. Because he's well aware that you molded his sculpture yep. yesterday. And he's well aware that the mold's done today. <laughs> Yeah, and you would look up and you would see him, and he'd be eyeballing you, and he'd be giving you. (laughs) And sometimes he would look inside the the you know the interior of the mold to see the surface detail or texture, like before I had a chance to look at. Wow, wow! And so (laughs) you know, well, he's a he's a fun dude, and I like that he's got a sense of sarcasm and. Because that helps break the ice, yep. and, you know. So you kind of looking at his facial expressions and trying to read him. I always got along really well with him. I think oh yeah, that's me kinda, too. You know, we're still in touch, and every once in a while, you know, getting an email or phone call to be able to work on something for him these days, 
yeah, that 12 year old in me just, yeah, it's a high five. I know. It's, it's fucking cool. Pr- it's pretty it's, cool. it's pretty amazing to be in contact with your childhood heroes like that or even yeah. kind of consider them friends. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty yeah. amazing. It, like you get caught up in the conversation sometimes and then there are other times where, you know, it, it, these days it's cool. You, you get to meet people that you admire. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. while you're in the middle of the conversation, it's, you know, like you and I, you know, we, we've come up together. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. It, it, there's a different thing that's undeniable, like when it's someone that when we were 10 or 12. Already made it. It already made it. Like you meet, like we do what we do because of these people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and then you and I are examples of uh, these kids all over the world that just, um, yeah, similar flame, similar spark. Yep. You know, and like a moth to a flame. It's like, yeah, I think I want to do this. And most of our parents were like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, this, this is a good lead in because I want to I want to yeah. kind of I want to hear about how you got to where you got from the very beginning, you know, from childhood, because oh, absolutely. I also I, I, I kind of want to get that part out of the way so that we can yes. get on to. You know the stuff, the stuff. You know, just the stuff about working at Ricks and and just the industry in general. I'm I'm so distanced from it now that I'm curious yeah. to hear about the state of the in- industry now and blah blah blah. So anyway, let's get on to the to, to how how did you start out? I mean, what was your? It sounds like you were similar to me with the the famous monsters. You were a monster oh, yeah. kid and you grew up oh, in the seventies yeah. and so oh, yeah, yeah. tell me. Like for me, like um, famous monsters magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, heavy metal magazine. Yep. Corbin, you know, um, a lot of like the creepy eerie for Zeta. Absolutely. Uh, And then movie wise, it was, um, we had creature features. Yep. Where'd you grow up? Northern California. Okay. Okay. Who was your miles? Who was your horror? Bob Bob Wilkins. Bob Wilkins. Was that the nerdy guy with the glasses or is it? Okay. (laughs) I've never seen his stuff other than pictures. A yellow wooden chair with a skull with a candle on it. Smoked a cigar. He's like, you don't smoke. And he's like, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) But he had like all the, the B movies. Yeah. Like the brain that wouldn't die. Like all of those. Yeah, I just grew up watching, and when you're a kid, all those black and white movies are so terrifying. Yeah, they're so, it was such a cool era, man. I mean, it was the coolest, I, I, I feel so bad for kids nowadays that don't have that, where it was like a local horror host mm. that would show crappy horror movies, uh, you know, on this cheesy kind of horror set, and they all had their own personalities, and it was yeah. so, I just thought it was amazing. I just thought it was so cool to, to. We were really lucky to grow up in that era to where we experienced that, I think. Yeah. Well, also, I think it's important, like all of the things, like whether it's a magazine or a book or a comic or just a movie, it's just you and that form of inspiration. Right. It's a direct relationship that I think is important. There's mm-hmm. no white noise. It's not, sometimes it's right. a group effort. That's cool. But, you know, sometimes my dad, like, you know, because it's PG. So, or R rather, but, right. um, you know, parental guidance, it, it, people forget what PG stands for. Right. Like my dad, he would sometimes watch, um, you know, like when HBO started movies were on there, he would watch the movie first. Right. And then he would say, okay, you can watch that one. Right. Right. You know, but yep. then, you know, like we're TV guide kids, right? Yep. So you, you look in the TV guide. I used to go shopping with my mom and, you know, she would push the shopping cart and I'd grab the TV guide. You'd scroll. 
Yeah. <laughs> you're just looking through the TV guide. Yeah. You're like, looking Wednesday for the horror movie. Right. <laughs> and then you got to make sure that your brother and sister and mom and dad didn't want to watch something on the TV at the same time. Right, right. It was a whole thing. It's like it's you had to plan whole... it out, man, and make a plan yeah. for that. I'm telling you. <laughs> and then you were all yeah. excited for it when it was, oh, and, uh, you know, three days I got to watch this movie I've never seen. I've always wanted to see yeah. it. Sometimes you'd be out in your BMX bike with your friends and you'd be like, what time is it? Because I never wore a watch. And, <laughs> you know, it's total like Stranger Things is like, you know, that and uh, Goonies. You see those yep. movies, but Stranger Things is my childhood. BMX right. bikes, skateboards. Yep. Same here. Go going on like no parent. My parents didn't even know where the hell I was most yeah. of the days. <laughs> I know for like the whole day. I've talked about this many times on the podcast. Yeah. Like, you'd be gone like you know for an eight hour stretch. They'd have no idea. We had no helmets or knee pads. No. I didn't anyway. And it was no. like, <laughs> but you know, we like sometimes we'd get on the skateboard or the bike, and my dad would just be like home for supper, right? Yeah, like okay, yes, yeah, you sir. had to just be home before dark. You know, that was the yeah. main rule. It's like my dad's rule is like you know, just before it gets dark, the street lights come on. Yeah, in our suburb, the the bulbs illuminated. Yeah, yeah. So it was almost like an alert. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like when those bulbs illuminate, Bobby, you you come home. I'm like, all right. <laughs> but yeah, and my parents are pretty cool about it because, you know, soaking it all in the magazines and everything. And then when Creature Feature started, um, you know, and some of my older cousins, like I was about nine, ten years younger than most of my cousins because mm-hmm. my mom was born late in her family. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of her brother and sisters were older, thus the kids. Right. So, you know, I remember going to my grandma's house and having to stay home while they all went to the drive-in to watch Carrie. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then you hear him come back, and they're all terrified. And you're a kid. You know, I'm like six years old. I'm like, oh. it, it was that scary. And my cousins, you know, they, of course, exaggerate a little bit to scare the little kid. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, re- mm. I remember hearing, like, uh, the, uh, the funny – it's so funny. Uh, I remember hearing people describe – older kids describing Texas Chainsaw Massacre to me. And it yeah. was – and the, and the vision I had of it is so different. I mean, it's, you know, it was, of course, a great movie. But it, the, the, the vision I had of that was so different than the movie. And same with Taxi Driver. I remember an older cousin or an uncle, or no, it was my cousin's boyfriend, an older guy, telling me about Taxi Driver when Taxi Driver came out. And it was like, it's so bloody, you know, like the end, the end scene, the shootout scene at the end. The way, yeah. the way, I don't know how he described it, but the way I took it, and the way I described it to other people was, he took a gun, and then he shot him in the hand, and his hand blew off, and he didn't have a hand. And then he took the gun to his head, <laughs> and his head blew off, and he didn't have a head. And then he took the gun to his neck stump, and then he shot his neck off, and he didn't have a neck. It was like totally this – I have this visual image of it, like in this kind of concrete room of a guy staying there with no head, and his neck getting – it's hilarious because, you know, you're a little kid formulating oh. these ideas out of, out of these descriptions but uh i, I don't know it just th- threw me on a tangent because it was like the way the other the older kids would like you know yeah fuck well, with I think you that's <laughs> also part of you know something i'm grateful for in my childhood was that i was given time to like fantasize mm-hmm. and you know use your imagination just yeah. to, like when, when i was a kid just to play yep like oh, yeah. imaginary shit and just, you know, like that. And then I loved Legos. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've always liked puzzles and solving things, right. you know? So, 
Yeah. But when you talk like, you know, it's hard to explain to someone today, like what it was like to sit in a theater and not know the chest burster was coming. Right. On the big screen. And yeah, you know, you were starting to learn what, who Giger was. Cause I, you know, I had older cousins and some of my friends had older brothers and like I was, I'm a little younger than you. I think I'll be, I'm 51 now. Okay. I'm 53. So, okay. Yeah. Well, and then that's a big deal because that's like you want to go see the movie, but you right. can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <true. laughs> right? Yeah. Because it's at the theater and it's like, do you know anybody that works in the theater? Can they kick the back door open? And, <laughs> yeah. Because, and then you don't realize what you're in and you're in the theater and you're 10 years old and, and the chest burster happens. Right. And you can't explain that. Like, that was a tariff. Like, I love monster movies, I used to watch a lot of them. But when that kind of crap happened in a movie, like, you know, they call it groundbreaking. They call it whatever. They, it's like, you're just not ready for it. Right. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? Just And then that whole movie is like, yeah. You know, t- and then, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just, the, the, the movie, uh, the, the one that, that had that impact on me was um, Dawn of the Dead. Because that level yeah. of gore and violence was so shocking mm. to me at that. Because it's like I saw it in the theater. Because my 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 uh, parents were pretty liberal about that, and my mm. um, and my stepdad. I don't think he knew what he was getting into taking me to it, but I really wanted to see it because it's like I knew Night of the Living Dead already. So right. this is seventy eight or seventy nine. So I must have been. Uh, I was born in sixty seven, so I was eleven probably. I was probably yeah. around eleven, twelve years old, and I saw that. And I'd never seen anything like that before. I mean, those those that kind of graphic violence was they didn't really have that in movies uh, no. up until that point. So they it just yeah. it had a real impression on me. Like I was just you know at the very beginning when that guy's head gets blown off, it was like it just <laughs> completely shocked me. But really, but and, and funnily enough, this is one of the reasons I got into effects because I was like, I have to know how they did this. It completely right. fascinated me. Exactly. And so then from 12 years old on, it was all effects. I had to learn how to do this. I got yeah. every book I could, Fangoria, anything, any resource. I went to the library and started learning how to do this stuff, you know? Yeah. For me, it was, I think, in the beginning, you know, like watching all the monster movies and being a fan. And then you like American Werewolf and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a fan. Right. And then, what you know, just loved movies. And the, the connector for me was my mom's dad, uh, my grandpa, made molds. And Are he you worked serious? With pl- yes. I didn't know that. He what was, a trip. He was a concrete mason, brick mason. Uh-huh. He was, you know, and so I've put pictures on my Instagram where you can see my grandpa making the waterfall um, out in the backyard. And, you know, my parents bought a house and it was a dirt lot with a driveway. Wow. It was a new suburb. Yeah. And now you go there and there's a wishing well and a waterfall and a barbecue. and a That's so weird. Deck. You totally got it in your blood, man. What a trip. <laughs> Correct. And I just, and it was, I hadn't connected the dots yet. I just, I was a huge monster. Christopher Lee was my Dracula, uh-huh. you know, because <laughs> I think I saw the Hammer films before I saw the Universal films. Right. You know, even like the Abbott and Costello used to love watching those. Yep, right? yep. And I just loved And then when American Werewolf came out, it was just like, holy crap. And then Howling. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> the Howling then, was the other one. That was the other yeah, one that got me into like effects. It was just, man, these movies are so amazing. And there was a famous monsters 
magazine that had lab pictures, which were really rare. I know, right? Like people talk about seeing like a sculpture or a makeup or how they did it. It's like, just imagine trying to find pictures from behind the scenes in the lab. Right, right. And and there was one that showed a few fellas. You remember they're in their white lab coats with ties. Cigarette. Cigarette. Exactly. It was for uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon sequel. Uh, okay. And they had the plaster mold for the body opened up on its little wooden right. cradle. And they were stippling latex yep, in it. Yep, yep. I know the picture so you're talking I, about. So when I saw, you know, and here I am a kid watching my grandpa all summer, every summer, make things out of concrete and plaster and bricks. And, you know, so I was absorbing without almost like a Miyagi kind of thing. Right. Right. It's like you, you watch all this. and you, I understood what was going on. And then when I saw that magazine, I like I showed my grandpa the magazine in the backyard. He's sitting there and having the old Budweiser in the can taking a break <laughs> from the concrete. He used to smoke the little cigars with the little white plastic right. tips <laughs> so, he, so he can chew on them while he smoked. And I remember I walked up to him, and I must have been like maybe 10 or 11. And I showed him the magazine. I'm like, it's kind of like what you do. And he looked at it, and he was like, yeah, it's, it's a little sloppy, and it looks a little thick. <laughs> you know, he, he critiqued it. but That's great. But what I got out of it was the the craft that my grandpa does – is used to make monsters right exactly and when you're 11 and the 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 links start to form right it's like so all these movies i've enjoyed wow and you're starting to see things like you were saying about the the dawn of the dead and and like the chest bursters and the american werewolves like now the effects have gone into almost like you can't understand it's not so easy to understand what they're doing right like my, I had a natural curiosity now mm-hmm. building. Right. Like, how are they doing that? Right. You know. Right, and, and you that, and you saw a little piece. It's like you saw a little clue in this picture right. because of what you knew about your grandfather. That's how it was back in the day. It's like we would look at these pictures, these very rare pictures of lab. I mean, you would scour the picture to try and figure out how what they were doing, and you would get little pieces of information. Like yep. you'd see like a jar of vaseline and a mold and it's like you kind of started or you'd see whatever these chemicals and you'd kind of go like okay and you'd be thinking okay what is he using that for and then you'd like try and decipher it from the caption versus the picture you know over and over (laughs) yeah it was like it was like a treasure hunt magnifying (laughs) glasses and it's like we all did that man you talked to pixelated old (laughs) Newsprint, black and white pictures. Yeah, I, I, oh, was, yeah. I was just, I was just talking to, uh, who was I talking to? Uh, no, I was talking to Jim McPherson the other okay. day. Okay, hi Jimmy. Hey, hey Jim. Um, uh, and we were talking about he was. We were talking about the podcast because I was like trying to get him on the podcast, you know. So because yeah. I'm getting trying to get more of my friends from the effects days and stuff, and cool. um. So we start talking about Rick and Carlo Rambaldi and King Kong. And it was like, and, and Uh-oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. But the, here's the thing. And I told yeah. him the story. I remember when King Kong came out and it was, it was in like the news. They're making a giant King Kong. It was in the paper, like in the LA times, someone in my family is like, Hey, look at this. It's a uh, Carlo Rambaldi interview in the LA times with pictures 
of these mechanisms, like drawings of the mechanisms for these, like a giant mechanical hand and a giant mechanical head. And I was able from the schematics of this hand that was drawn out, I was able to figure out how to make a mechanical hand out of toothpicks. So instead of using like rebar or or aluminum rods for each section of the finger, um, I used toothpicks and glued it together. And I was like, oh, that's how if you pull here, it'll bend. And so it's like I glued this. I made all the sections out of toothpicks. And I literally had a mechanical hand out of toothpicks and fishing line. And when I pulled it, the fingers went. And it was like that. And that was because I was, you know, from from that uh, that that treasure hunting and seeing something in yes. a newspaper that didn't say anything about, you know, someone would just look at that and go, oh, look at it. It's like a robot hand. But it was like. Absolutely. It was like, I wonder if this is going to work because I wanted to I always wanted to make like a mechanical hand for some reason probably from the hand that movie with the hand you know the mm, that Michael yeah. Caine movie no, I, <laughs> I get it it's for me I I was less I like I don't know if it's just because I used to watch my grandpa work and then when I got into it I was much more of a book reading studying mm-hmm. like I didn't make a lot of molds at home right you know what I mean because mm-hmm. I didn't sculpt Mm, okay. So I, I thought that, you know, I'll just learn as much as I can. And then with, like the, the huge thing was like the making of Thriller. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, watching somebody, you know, watching Rick do right. a life cast of Michael yeah. Jackson. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then right about then is uh, like when the Cinefix issue came out. Like this was a huge part, too. I think I was reading a lot of books and learning about it because – I think in my younger mind, I just thought that all of these older fellas, and they were all good, and they all did it themselves. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. Because you read about Chambers and Dick Smith and Rick and Tom Berman and all these guys, Jack Pierce, they just kind of did all the work themselves. Yeah, right. Uh, Almost as important as the picture of the troll for myself. Mm Mm-hmm. Inside that Cinefix 16 Rick Baker issue, <laughs> there was a picture of Dick Smith talking with Rick and the Baker half dozen. Right. You know, whether there's six or seven people standing around listening to yeah. Dick Smith. And reading that magazine, a few things happened. One, I realized that Rick's training people. Mm-hmm. Okay, so these guys, they hire crews. So they don't do it all themselves. Right. Okay. There's a light bulb. And then in in the article when they're talking about um, Greystoke, they mention Gunnar Ferdinandson. Right. And he was they, like the first celebrity mold maker, I think. He was the first, yeah, exactly. <laughs> At least in our and, circle. And, yeah. <laughs> and and Rick said, Yeah, you know, we went over to London and I brought my mold maker, Gunnar Ferdinandson, with me. And I was like, A God, that's awesome. <laughs> B, you can make molds only? Right. So like in the Cinefix, a lot of times people talk about all the cool pictures and the sculptures. But for me, that was like early, maybe 84, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. And what had happened, like all these movies, like The Thing and all, like it was just building up so much momentum, like makeup effects right. in the early 80s. Yeah, yeah. And then what I got, my younger self, you know, I'm 13, I'm 14, you're starting to have conversations with dad, like you're entering high school, start prepping for what you're going to do after. (laughs) And that magazine, I got the idea that Rick trains people. 
Uh, Dick Smith is there talking to them. Um, so you can be one of the kids. Like, you can move to L.A. and get trained. And my grandpa's work is kind of how they make monsters. So they use plaster to make monsters and molds. And like that gunner fella, if I get good enough, maybe I could just make molds. Right. And that's my 13-year-old brain going, okay, <laughs> there's a path. <laughs> so, yeah, what a trip. Wow, wow. It's Thinking interesting. back now, yeah, it's a real trip. Yeah, and it's and I wonder, you know, it's almost like your grandfather was a key part of the equation because if you you may not have made that connection, hey, I know how I kind of understand how this is being done with this mold without yeah. without your grandfather having you know having seen him do all that work yeah, with it, molds it, and stuff. Ex- exposure was vital. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. It was like. This confluence, confluence of events that just like, oh yeah, and then you know, and I like to read, and so I just I used to read, like when I eventually moved to L.A., um, I was very book smart. Mm -hmm. I was I wasn't ahead of myself because I had tried like a a life cast on my brother, you know, like when I was like eighteen, and so you know, like I. I ordered, I knew where Berman Industries was, right? Right. I got that from the back of the magazine. I ordered some alginate and plaster bandage and, uh-huh. and, and UltraCal. So I thought, yeah, the thing that I didn't think of is I did a test with the alginate. I almost used like half of the batch, <laughs> right? You don't think you can do a small yeah, cup right. test. <laughs> so I, I start with like, you know, you don't know about ratios and shit. Right. I'm like, I'm 16, 17. Like, so I do a small test. And I use it all, and eventually I just keep adding powder because I started with way too much water. Right. Yeah. And you know what I mean. I didn't know about the like what is it like uh, the, the milliliters? It's like sixty-five grams of alginate to two hundred milliliters is a good starting point. Uh-huh. If you, if you want it a little thicker, you can go to seventy grams alginate for two hundred milliliters. Right. <laughs> Those of you listening, if you want to, there's a starting point. Because don't do what I did. Yeah. <laughs> and so a year later or something, I had the material and I talked my brother into it and I ordered a bald cap. And there's that first day in the garage. You know, and I have photos from it and I did it and it oh, was cool. terrifying. And I actually started to like practice like practical stuff. Wow. And then you learn real quick, like, okay, the books and stuff I've been reading made it look like it was going to be a lot easier. Right. Yeah. There's a million things that can go wrong with mold making and that sort of casting. There's so many things, so many little yeah. things that can go wrong. Um, yeah. That's why you, you have to I, do it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I read a lot of books. So I think before moving to L.A., playing around a little bit like that um, was good because you learned very quickly, like, it didn't matter how much you read, you're just going to have to, like, repetition. Right. Like, you hear people talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. in these days, they may not want to do it as long. They may want to, like, whether it's playing guitar, like, you know, you're a musician. It takes time to be able to, like, listen to a song and play it. Right, right. It takes, like, if you want to learn how to, like, get a, a canvas and paint something or mold something, or, like, you just prepare yourself. It's yeah, going to yeah. take years. Yep. Years. Yep. Anything years. worth a shit takes time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you like, know? It's going to take so long. But, don't think about that. Just think about how cool it's going to be when you get to a point where you can actually begin to execute what's in your mind's eye right. or your ear. Like when you can start executing what you have up here in your noggin, 
and you could start to see it before you. Yeah. You know, like for myself, it's, it's like the materials, you know, you guys talk about, um, paints and I hear you guys talk about the difference between oils and acrylics. Right. And, you know, you can learn to work with both and mm-hmm. each one has its different circumstances. And, yep. you know, in my world, it's, it's no different with the, the plasters and the epoxies and you right. just got to learn. Yep. Yeah. And some people will be able to do things really good with some certain materials. And some people will look at that and go, how do you, lots of practice. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think before I moved to LA, it was good to just have it in my head that I read a lot of books. I was pretty confident. And then I tried to life cast and I tried like a quick mold and utter failures. Uh-huh. Just, just that, like catastrophes. The life cast didn't go too bad, but I like when I moved to LA, you know, and I, I worked some side jobs and saved some money. So when I moved to LA, I think I was like 22. Uh-huh. And again, it's like, you know, when you compare then and now, um, I moved to Los Angeles in a piece of shit car, the, like an old Honda that I scraped together money for. Um, I had a room to rent. I was going to try and make up school that didn't, you know, I ended up giving up that. There wasn't really any decent makeup school back then. No, I was thinking about like, you know, and you go look at him and it's like, well, we're going to watch videotape and take notes. It's like, I've read books. I I, I need practice. I didn't know what to do really. How did you, how did you get, find a place to stay? So, well, um, I found out about the LA weekly and Thomas guide, because before I moved to LA, one of my friends from school, her aunt lived in Los Angeles. And let's just say before I moved to LA, when she bought me a Thomas guide, I laughed at her. <laughs> and those of you that are listening that don't know what a Thomas, Thomas guide is, guide. Oh my God. look it up. It's like, <laughs> it, it's, it's like an inch and a half thick of hundreds of pages and it's a map. Yep. And coming from my small town, I was flipping through the Thomas guide. I'm like, how big is Los Angeles? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get lost. So, and then, uh, like I had a couple phone numbers and I rented a room okay. from a friend of a friend and the guy was in college and he had a two bedroom apartment. So he said, if you can come, come up with like two fifty, three hundred 300 a month, you can rent a room okay. that has its own bath. And so I ended up in L.A. not knowing where any of the shops were. Wow. <laughs> um, I had literally, I'm not kidding, I had a sleeping bag and two cardboard boxes in my grandpa's old suitcase. Wow. <laughs> and in the cardboard boxes were some of my favorite mags and books. Yep. And so I realized that it wasn't going to go according to plan pretty quickly, <laughs> you know, because the makeup school, I just um, I'd rather save that money. But now I'm here and now what? And then... So my next logical step was the only place I knew of in town was Berman Industries. Mm. So I just literally used the Thomas Guide because I had never been there. I mail ordered, right? Right. So I found out where Berman Industries was. And for those listening, this is one of the very rare back then places that sold materials. Right. And books and VHS tapes on how to do special makeup effects. Wasn't it that them and Davis Dental maybe, which is such uh, yeah, a strange was, place to Davis and Trias Sciences. <laughs> oh, Trias, that's right. Yeah. I <laughs> that. I, uh, Sciences. I gotta go. I gotta go to Trias Sciences to get some one one one. Yeah, that was a lab, like all the beakers and scales. Yeah. It was all clean. Like, don't knock over anything over. I can't afford it. anything. <laughs> 
Yeah, Berman's was kind of like the lab, the right. shop supplier. Right. And I literally went over there and I met Sandy Berman. And I, the importance, you know, you talked about the catalyst of seeing my uh, grandpa and his work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very grateful that I found Berman Industries in that book and did the mail ordering a couple of years before because now I'm in L.A. You know, my parents are worried about me. Um, I'm, I'm at Sandy Berman's shop and I just, I used to hover, dude. They had a pin board in there and I remember looking in there and, you know, there was pictures like stunt guys used to put pictures of Bill Corso, you know, now yeah. famous Bill Corso. Right. He, did a jo- he did a Joker makeup back then and he had just taken a three by five color picture and put it on the pegboard and put a, a thumbtack through it. Holy shit. So, what year, what year are we talking about? 92 92 okay okay yeah that's so crazy there was they, you know like people used to like hey if you're looking for work call this or i'm looking for work right. that was uh, the wall of effects people trying to interconnect <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and i couldn't afford any of the supplies and i think sandy was very well aware right so and so for like the first two weeks i would show up almost every other day for like a half hour and just walk around and look yeah, and I started. And Donna Drexler was working there with her, and I just she'd tell me stories and wow. talk about materials and like you know talk about home and talked about my granddad and just you know the interconnectivity of it all. And you know she even like after a couple of weeks she's like, look, I'm going to help you out. Like, and she went behind the counter and there was a fax machine, and she printed out there was you know it was like the Holy Grail back then. Uh, addresses to like 10 shops oh yeah <laughs> like the dave millers and the screaming mad george's and the yeah you know yep. everybody was up in that sunland area yep. except tony gardner you guys were out there near vegas yeah <laughs> <laughs> it felt that way back San Gabriel then, valley yeah <laughs> yeah that's hilarious and, uh, so she printed out the 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 shop addresses and i'm like okay and honestly this is it this is how it happened um uh, I didn't know what a runner was, but a runner showed up, uh, you know, from an effect shop and he had a pickup truck. And for those listening, a runner is kind of like an errand person, a gopher, right? yeah, a gopher. There you go. And so for, there was an effect shop out there that sent this guy to, um, Berman industries to pick up plaster, hydrocal, ultracal. Mm-hmm. And they loaded his truck up, and I saw it out of the window of Berman Industries. I'm not kidding. And I looked at the truck, and I was like, oh, I know what that plaster is used for. (laughs) (laughs) And I looked at Sandy, and I said, I got to go. And I followed him. (laughs) Are you serious? I'm not kidding. (laughs) Yes. That's amazing. (laughs) I followed the car and drove down – Roscoe Boulevard towards like the whole like basically drove to Screaming Mad George's shop. Holy shit, that's amazing! You know, so by now I think this is very early '93, and um, I yeah yeah I followed a runner, and I didn't know it was Screaming Mad George's shop, and I didn't know that they were doing Giver too inside. Right, <laughs> but this is like you talk about these little catalysts, man, and. I just went there with my car. I mean, I was even watching my gas gauge as I was driving because I didn't know where he was going. Mm-hmm. And back then, it's like you got $5 a day budget, maybe Taco Bell, maybe gas. 
You know what I mean? Top yep. ramen was popular. We all know this. You know. Yep. Yeah. The the, the handbook: of what to eat and drink when you're struggling. Right. Uh, and so here I'm in a parking lot in front of a, a a shop, and the bay door's down, and they unload the truck and they close the bay door, and I was out there for like 90 minutes in my car. And when the time came, I'm like, "What do I got to lose?" You were just and trying went, to kind of get it, trying to get the nerve up to go in. Yes. Yeah. Or do I drive away? I'm like, like I have no plan. I'm in Los Angeles, <laughs> five and a half hours away from home. Wow. I'm counting my dollars. I don't know. Like, okay, maybe I didn't plan this out as well. And I just thought, I, man, I got nothing to lose. So right. I just, and I went, I went and knocked on the door. And Moto answered the door. Oh no way! Wow. Yeah. Moto Hada. Yep. And you know, and you know Moto. Yep. Um, and he, uh, six foot Korean fella, very serious. <laughs> scary. <laughs> yeah. Well, spent, like, you know, he was a scary, you don't scary guy. Him, if don't you think... don't know him. <laughs> yeah. He said he opened the door and, and he put his hands on his hips. He's like, can I help you? And I was like, um, and I looked past him and there was some guys cleaning out some ultra cow molds behind him and i'm like i can do that <laughs> really <laughs> yeah literally and he was just smiling he's just like um and i'm like look i followed the pickup truck <laughs> um i just and he's like well look you know steve wang's not here right now and i and so being a creature fan i know who steve wang is right like steve predator wang are you kidding <laughs> You know, this is early 93, so you get the idea. Right. And um, and he, I said, well, I know who Steve Wang is. He's like, you know Steve? And I'm like, no, I'm from the Bay Area. I used to, him and Matt Rose used to go to the conventions, and you see their sculptures, and they, they're the, the Bay Area kids that moved to L.A. that did well. They're right. like kind of like legends to those of us that are reading the right magazines. Right. And I'm like, I, he's not going to be here today? He's like, no. I'm like, can I just help? I'm like, I don't know what to say right now. And Moda was like, "What?" I'm like, "Look, I just I followed the truck. I, I'm familiar with plaster and ultra cal." Um, and he's like, "Have you made a lot of molds?" And I'm like, "No, I've read a lot of books." And I'm like, "I just want to help. I just I I want to be a part of it. That's all." And Moda looked at me and he's just like, "All right." And he brought me over and he introduced me to a sow goto, and I was just kind of a sow's assistant for Holy a couple shit. weeks. Holy shit! Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And, and it turned into, you know, like Moto was running the creature shop. So like after a few days, I met Steve Wang and, you know, I showed him the my three three by five card pictures that I had of my old crap. And he laughed, you know, <laughs> I used to like when then when Steve, he would go location scouting during the day and he would come and he would sculpt. And I've never seen a sculptor work before. Mm. So my first sculptor to watch live was Steve Wang with wed clay. Wow. <laughs> you know, and Moto Hata with wed clay. Amazing. And, you know, I remember sitting there at night because what am I going to go back to my room for, right? And the first time I met Steve, I just stayed there and talked to him about Bay Area and home. And and I watched him sculpt, and he does it with both hands. He's a two-handed sculptor. Right. And he's grabbing his tools, and he's massaging and mostly sculpting with his fingertips. And I'm you know, I'm 22 watching this going, what the, like, I just watched this guy bang this sculpture out. I'm like, you have no idea like how, like comparatively speaking, 
just how awesome he was as compared to like he's not your average artist definitely definitely and and when you haven't been in the shops at that time it's hard to differentiate you don't know the different levels yet. right 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 so when you see something done like that i was like well, that's the most incredible thing i've ever seen right and and he looked at me he's just like well you've been sitting on the stool like talking to me for like four hours it's like you can help and i looked at him i was like what and then i talked to Moda the next day and this is when my basically you know he started mentoring me wow and so it, it went from helping out a few hours and sitting on the stool to um moto said we can't really pay you right now but he's like i will buy you breakfast i will buy you lunch and i will buy you dinner and you you're here seven days a week and you can be too wow and so I tried to learn everything under the sun. And I wasn't molding sculptures back then. I was learning how to cabo patch and foam patch and, you know, cast up Giver blades and working with ESTs and polyfoams and helping them run the creature suits with the foam latex, you know, big fiberglass molds. I bet you were learning so much, though. You must have just yeah, been sucking well, it up like a sponge. Also, it wasn't lost on me the fact that I'm with Steve Wang right now. And Moto, and Steve's worked at Rick's on Gremlins. He was talking about that a little bit. In the shop, Nick Mara, Chris Robbins. Nick was talking about just working on Jurassic Park. So I'm like, I followed a truck, got into a studio, and I'm learning from guys that worked at Rick Baker's and Stan Winston's. I was like, I don't need to sleep. Right. <laughs> I'll sleep later. I mean, it's such a – like I tell the story now, and I'm like, that's really how it, that's how it happened. Yeah, yeah. So, it's so crazy. Weird. It's crazy. And then, and then Giver ended, and I'm like, you know, but it, during Giver, I, you know, a big break happened too. Is like when the creature stuff was done. Steve asked me, he's like, "Do you want to help a sow getting everybody in and out of the creature suits on locations and stuff?" Oh my god! And so Steve wrote me my first check. Wow. You know, per, he wrote, he started writing me. He asked me how much my rent was and food. And it wasn't much. Yeah. You know, a, few yeah. Hundred, a few hundred bucks a week. Right. But like it, it paid all of my bills and took all of that worry and concern away. So now I have, you know, a mentor and I got a job. And so I was driving around Angela's Crest putting dudes in creature suits and stunts and. When the show was over, um, Moto, uh, he was supposed to work in the Stargate creature shop, but he missed it because Guyver 2 went longer. Mm. So we're at Stargate wardrobe department, and Moto just called me up. You know, the old days with answering machines? Mm-hmm. You get home after a long day of nothing, and the little red light's over there blinking. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the little red light of happiness, right? You're, like, you're unemployed, and you're like, oh, please, Please be a message. And uh, you know, Moto's like, yeah. hey, this is Moto. Call me. I have work. And that's where our relationship really began. Amazing. Wow. We started we worked on Stargate together. He taught me how to make molds. And more synchronicity. Um, when I got to the, the Stargate shop, it was on Sherman Way. So for me I knew the address because that's where Rick did American Werewolf. Oh, no way. Wow. It was in Rick Sherman Way shop. Oh, and wow. when Stargate moved in right after Greg Cannon moved out, so that's where Bram Stoker's Dracula was done. Wow. So it was filled with a lot of sewing machines and stuff at the time. Yeah, yeah. 
but I, I'm like, okay, this is like my first job. Moto called me up. I'm being trained now. And I walk into, whoa, this is, this is Rick Baker's innovation shop. I know the address. <laughs> Holy, and and the, the Canon creation sign is still over there on the wooden panel. Right. So, wow. <laughs> like all of these things just started happening. And I'm like, yeah, it's weird. It's really weird to think and talk about it like years later. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's like a, that's what it takes, though. I mean, especially back then, that's what it took is things like, you know, I've heard yeah. stories, had people tell me stories about I parked out in front in front of Rick Baker. I found out where Rick Baker's house was, and I parked yeah. out in front of his house waiting for him to come out to like a show. Oh, no, and it's a like, good idea, but... I know, no, I know. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, you know, tr- following someone in a truck isn't really a good idea either nowadays, but it's I like. Know. But this is what you got to do, man. It's like if you you, you got to do what you got to do if you want to make at least and especially back then when there wasn't the internet, there wasn't email, there was n- nothing except the Thomas guide and you know your your car and maybe yeah. finding a place to live. It's like that's what it took. And and it's like the people yeah. most people have some weird story like that or a lot of people I know in the industry have kind of a weird story like that where it was very you know, knocking on doors of shops without, you know, calling for, for an interview or anything, especially the older guys like us, you know, it's like, cause there was, there wasn't like a formal way of doing things back then. It was so new. No. It was just kind of becoming a thing, makeup effects, you know? Yeah. I think standardized. What, what, I, what I've learned is like, cause once I met Moto, uh, things accelerated really quickly for me. Right. Because Moto, like Horizon Model Kits was a big thing. A lot of film guys did those little model kits on the side for extra cash. Mm-hmm. Moto supervised Horizon Model Kits. Oh, I didn't know uh, he was a supervised. I know he sculpted a lot of them, but I didn't realize he supervised them. Yeah, well, he kind of like the, he felt like he was in charge of the sculpture mold and production. Huh. So here I'll throw a few names at. Nori Honda was his main uh, mold maker. Nori mm-hmm. worked at Steve Johnson's. Um, so... I used to hang out with them at Horizon and learn more about molding from Nori and Moto. Wow. Uh, used to go to KitCraft because a guy named Tom Gillian worked yep. at KitCraft. <laughs> and, he, and he used to paint the Horizon model fig, the model kit figures for the, the box art. Oh, right. So right. Tom, Tom painted for Moto the hero pieces. Right. So, and I think later those ties would come together when Tom was coming over and got a job at Cinovation. Right, right. I have a feeling like all of all of these things are all interconnected. Yep. And so before I knew it, I had a, a job at Steve Johnson's. Oh, you know, wow. And and Brent Baker was over there, and I met Richie Alonzo and Gino Azevedo and Norman Cabrera and Bill Corso, and but like I walked into it, right? And they were just finishing up like uh, the stand and was it Night of the Demons three, uh-huh. you know? And yeah, I just okay, here's a shop. You got a job. Moto's working there. So every once in a while he'd come over and he'd kind of watch me and every once in a while I'd hear the words. It's like, you're kind of understanding it now. <laughs> I'm like, you know, because my goal was my, like I knew what my end game was and it was kind of, you know, ever since American Werewolf and reading that Cinefix, that was my end game. Right. That like I, I had a goal and I was aiming for it. Right. right now, Moto's training me. I'm like, I just want to, sooner or later, he's going to come up and he's going to be happy. Right. And I worked really hard and I finally got to a point where, you know, he would come up and he'd be like, nice. 
And I'd be like, <laughs> but, and, that's a big deal there for moto <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i miss that dude man yeah he I was miss a, him a lot he was amazing he yeah was amazing i person. i uh yeah very grateful that um some guy that like i was talk i, I still talk too much but i was like <laughs> so energetic and wanting to do it and i don't know how he saw through that and thought well, maybe I can train this guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no photos or evidence of any, you know, and it just, it worked out really, really well. Yeah. You know, and then at Steve's, I think one of the things I, that happened was they ran out of molds and they were doing, we were working on um, species. What do you mean they ran out like, of molds? Well, the molds were all done. So they were laying mold makers. On oh, them. I see. I see. Right. You know, like mold work, I should say. Right. And Steve looked at me and he's like, hey, um, uh, there's no more sculptures or molds, but there's a lot of this plastic bag shit. You know, we're making creatures if you uh, want to work on some of the effects. And I'm I'm glad I said yes and stayed because um, I think there is like a way that everybody learns to do a mold. And it, it becomes like, a, you know, you look at molds from the 70s and everything kind of looks the same. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think what happened is, is when I went and worked with effects, you know, I was working with guys like Bill Bryant and Joel mm. Harlow and, uh, you know, and Lenny McDonald. Mm. And they're all uh, very creative and they, they all go their own way. Right. And so I was conditioning myself that this is how you make a mold. These are the 10 steps. I'm pleasing Moto. Please Moto. Right. And then Moto is gone. And I'm working with these guys. And now I learned that it's okay to go your own way. Right. And also a mentality of like they're making it up as they go along. Mm-hmm. And so I spent like a few months working with them, making some like Lord of Illusions and Species and like there was a lot of stuff going on, like the Duracell commercials, right? You know, create watching Bill make things out of these plastic bags or L two hundred, right? And it he's amazing at that. Yeah, and when you see it happen, it reignited my own creative bone. Hmm. It, if, it, I don't know if I said that wrong, but creative <laughs> bone, whatever. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Like, when I'm learning something technical, sometimes it's like even cooking. It's like this is the recipe. Stick to the recipe. This it'll lead you to a successful, like right, a successful right. result. Right. And then, like sooner or later, a time comes, and me working with those guys, and so my next job after spending some time making effects was I finally got my uh, phone call. I I went home one night. My answering machine was that little red light was on. And work was slowing down at Steve's. It was the fall of 94. And uh, I hadn't met Jim Leonard yet, but his voice was on my uh, my machine. Yeah. And so Jim Leonard, I knew that he was the guy that ran Rick Baker's shop. And I had seen pictures of him working with Norman on coming to America. You know, mm-hmm. he, like he was the guy since like the mid 80s, Harry and the Hendersons, Gorillas in the yeah. Mist. Like, so Rick in the early 80s had guys like Gunnar Ferdinandson, and then in the mid to late 80s, he had Jim Leonard. Right. So here, here we are in the early 90s, and his voice is on my recording machine saying, um, this is the address to Cinovation Studios. Uh, I've been hearing your name a little bit as of late, and I think that it's about time that maybe you come over, we can uh, say hello, and let's put you through an interview. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and 
like you know he's, he talks like Yosemite Sam. He's got that southern draw. Yeah, I never met. Know? He's like the legendary dude. Oh, I yeah. never, I never met him. I never met him. I never worked with him. But everybody at Rick's would talk about Jim Leonard. He was like, he, oh, is always like the character, out. total character. Yeah, from what like, I can, you know, like his machine was like. All right, Bobby, I'll tell you what, 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock, don't be late, <laughs> don't be late, 8 o'clock, you got the address? Yeah, make sure you fucking sleep the night before, will you? All right, see you Monday. <laughs> this dude's running Rick's shop. Yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, I'm really nervous. It's like, I know my job at Steve's is coming to an end, but I got no portfolio or picture, so I talked to Moto, and what we did is, like, Steve was cool, and he let me kind of pull some of the old molds that I made off the shelves, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I took a bunch of pictures and, and Moto had a, like a, it was able to print something like Kinko's. That was right, the lab, right? right? <laughs> if Kinko's was open 24 hours. So Moto took me over there and I didn't have a whole lot of scratch to, you know, like he helped me and he put a portfolio together. Oh, cool. And so I went to Cinovation on Monday morning and um, the only thing that happened was I got the interview. I walked in, sit down with Jim, and I had no idea how much I had been learning with Moto. Right? I knew I could make a pretty good mold and stuff, but mm. he turned and opened up the portfolio and he looks at the first mold and he's like, Ultra Cow? Yeah. Hemp or burlap? Um, burlap. How many layers? All right. What'd you seal the sculpture with? What was the sculpture made out of? That flange. Why'd you put that key there? Mm-hmm. I'm getting grilled. <laughs> I'm like really nervous all of a sudden. I'm like, I had no idea interviews were like this. <laughs> like I got hired at Steve's just because of Nori and Moto. I'm right. like, this is crazy. <laughs> and so, yeah, for 30 minutes, he just asked me about all the stuff that was in my book. Wow. And I, at the end of it, I realized, you know, because like the karate kid, Moto completely miyagi me. Right. I had been washing and waxing cars and I, and then also like all the stuff that I learned from my grandpa and all the books and it all just like came together and like in this one moment of pressure. Right. I had no idea. And I was like, Whoa. And I walked out of there and I'm like, wow, that went really well. And Cinovation didn't get a job for like three months. And then by the time I got a call, Jim Leonard had quit. Because he was going to do more sculpture for like Franklin Mint and stuff like that. Oh, right. Yeah, and, yeah. And then that's when Jim McLaughlin took over the job. Oh, okay. So they were working on Batman 3. Uh, Nutty Professor was starting. And yeah, so there I was. Wow. Wa- walking into innovation with my toolbox. Wow. And, <laughs> yeah. And then the, the first appliance was there was a test makeup that you're familiar with. It was um, the orangutan makeup that Jim McPherson sculpted on Matt Rose. Oh, that's what I wore for the for the when I, I wore it in the movie. <laughs> yeah, all, the, all this ties together, Chip. Yep. <laughs> my first appliance, my first mold period, my first day at Cineration, um, is Jim McLaughlin walking up to me and handing me the lower lip and chin appliance to that makeup. Wow, how funny! And, and said Brent said that you could you know you know your way around a mold so. I'm okay giving this to you. And I was like, what's that for? And he's like, well, we're doing the plan of the eight test makeup. And I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding. Me. <laughs> and yeah. So Jim was molding the upper lip and facial piece. And then Russ Seifert was molding the cow. 
And we molded that makeup, and then I think they found out other shops were doing tests, so we put it on the back burner. And, you know, five years later, I guess, they, they took that makeup off the shelf, put it on Matt Rose, did a video, and got the job. Wow. Wow. But, Amazing. Yeah. But th- that's my arrival to Cinovation. Right. Not, not, not the straightest road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, what a tr- – it's so interesting. I just find this fascinating. It's such a – you know, you see people – that are experts in their field, and it just seems like oh, they've always been that. They've always been there, you know. No. And you don't, re- and you don't think of this weird ass windy road that took them to get there. And it's like, and then once you, you're at Rick's, it's like you're not even a fully developed no. uh, uh, mold maker yet. It's like I'm sure it, no. Rick's is probably. I mean, when I got to Rick's, I feel like that's even though I was at Tony's for ten years, I feel like when I got to Rick's. And got to work around guys like Mitch and Matt and Kazu and everybody yeah. there. That's when I became like the best artist I could be. It was from being in that environment and learning from those guys. Because even you know, just being away from that environment, I still I knew a lot, you know. But I wasn't, <clears throat> I was not used to doing sculptures at the level that Mitch does sculptures with the the pores and and the he's making t- his own tools. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so. I when I got there and and you know and then I was in the the paint department just kind of like Bill was like it's a good way to get your foot in the door he's like you're very overqualified to to do this but it'd yeah. be a good foot in the door so I did that and I painted for however long I was painting these damn ears over and over uh, over and over two colors and it was just like grinding but still I just you know kind of did it and sort of kept to myself and then they let me sculpt a, a an ape's maquette. Just because there was yeah. downtime and they were doing maquettes, and yeah. Rick liked my sculpture, and then from then on, I was in the sculpture department. And so I, I as soon as, but as soon as I got in there, I was like, there was an empty spot next to Mitch. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, because I kind of knew Mitch from the Blob because he dropped off some sculptures on Holy that he did shit. on the Blob, and yeah. um, and so it's like we had met before, other we weren't pals or anything but it's like i had talked to him and he was really funny i remember that and his sculptures were amazing um so it was like i took that spot like oh i'm gonna sit next to mitch so i can learn from this guy and he ended up like he you know aside from being the one of the people that encouraged me just to get out of effects and do my own fine art stuff he was like the first guy to really he was always championing me he's always telling me you got to do your own thing i got to do your own thing you know because i was like talking to him about it while we worked together, but uh, he also ta- taught me everything he knew about sculpting. It was like anything I didn't know, I'd ask him, and he would just show you, and then he'd say, "Yeah, I use this tool that I made. Here, you can have it." And he would just give me the mm-hmm. tool. So it's like I still use a bunch of Mitch's tools that he gave me from back yeah. when I when I started sculpting there. You know. So point being, oh. point being is that once you you work in a place like that, that's when you have the opportunity to really become who you want to be as a, an artist or technician, you know, because, yeah. you know, like we said, all the, the best is expected from you and you've got all these amazing people to learn from around you. Yeah. I, when I first got there, it took me a while to settle in a little bit. I mean, you're young. Mm. My, my ambition and energy was a lot higher and outweighed my skill level for sure. Oh, really? Yeah, I had a good, like, I can do the basic stuff. And, you know, like at that time, some of the stuff they were doing was a little more, you know, like just little appliances, like 
like the Batman three stuff was like little small little appliance. You know, they're like little poor urethane. They're block molds, right? Right. It doesn't. Once you understand flashing and cutting edge, it's a little easy to repeat that. Right. Um, you you start getting into the larger molds and creatures and all that. And, and I had kind of had a taste of all that. I just I didn't have the confidence yet, and I just it took a while. And I think even when you're trying to make a name for yourself in the shop, what happens? Like you know, my experience was, um, you know, it's quite competitive. Hmm. You know, oh, like, yeah, everybody, yeah. like everybody wants to be the guy that molds Rick's stuff. That's true. I never thought about that. I've never, I didn't even right? think about that. Yeah, it's so true. There I is mean, this competition were, within the shop. Yeah. And it like all, all shops are like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you know, it's, you know, I went from, you know, people also, they need to understand like before I worked at Steve's or before I worked at Rick's, your typical phone call would be like, Hey, uh, so you're a mold maker. Yes. Um, in two weeks, I may finish a sculpture and have a couple days work for you. What do you think? I'm like, <laughs> so like in two weeks you have two days of work. Yeah. <laughs> well, can you do the mold in one day? And I'm like, so in two weeks, you kind of want me to do it in one day. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you, you just say yes to everything. Right. Cause you have to. So then when you get into these environments where, you know, it's it, a little more steady, but you get have to uh, like learn to work within the environment itself but i just kind of waited and you know a lot of times you're just molding head casts and you're molding uh, hand casts in the beginning it's i think it's smart um the guys that are learning let them mold the plaster parts okay you can't fuck it up right, right 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 it's important Everything's important. The polyfoam heads at Cinovation that go to the hair department have to be perfect. Right. They're painted. <laughs> like they were painted a certain color. You know? Yeah. They, they had the, the, the little socket underneath on the neck. So it would hit on the little hair person stand and they could move, move it and move it. Right? Oh, the like, one that the, so, well, I have to interject. One of the most amazing no, things working at Rick's as a sculptor was when it's like, okay, you're going to do this makeup. And for me, it was always kind of like background because they had the, they had their main guys already in the sculpting and i was just happy to sculpt anything at rick's man it was like so great so you're gonna sculpt this weird little character in uh haunted mansion okay cool um and then from the and then uh someone would just from the mold department would come and deliver me this perfect ultra cow bust that was painted the same color as the chiffon which is the first time i ever saw that painted the same that you know that brown color the chiffon and then all coated already it was like all ready to go so you just just do your sculpture it was like hand delivered to you on a cart i was i was just like fuck this is so amazing because i'd never seen anything like that before and it's like when you're done it's like okay to hand it up you know once it gets approval hand it off to them they mold guys come and take it away and then the next thing you know there's this amazing foam piece it's like this is i felt so spoiled by that you know it's like (laughs) what did i do to deserve this (laughs) it was amazing those were funny days too because before like everything was done out of the same chevant right like all the art like all the art like from the mold shop perspective about what you just mentioned um okay cast up a hydrocal head all right cool who's doing the sculpture why because there's like six guys and they all use different colors. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. Some guys like Chavant, the purpley shit. That's so funny. Like the, the brown stuff. Or the green. You got like Roma yeah. this. Yeah. And, and I think the, the painting thing, I mean, 
this may not be exactly correct, but I always assume that Dick Smith liked to use the ivory Roma. Right, I think so. I think that's true. And I think he, he used the ivory Roma because less contrast between the clay right. and, and the, the positive itself, right, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. So I, like, I'm not sure when the painting thing started. I never saw it until I got to Cinovation. Yeah. And I can't remember. They were probably doing it before I got there. But it was, yeah, it was something that, it's a color match, that's all. Yeah, it's, so, it's just, it made things so much easier to blend, to get good blending edges. It was like, right. when I saw that, I was like, how, why is not every shop do this? And now they do, probably. I'm sure it's like a standard uh, thing now. Most things bled out from, Sen- like, you go to other shops and you're like, yeah, hey, yeah, it's like, what? And you're like, well, we used to kind of do that at Rick's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, and I know it's 2002, but we were doing that back in 94. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, right. And, and, <laughs> yeah, right. And maybe some things you even came up with. Maybe they were even your idea that, like, you see oh, in you other see shops, that, yeah. you know? It's like, yeah, yeah. it's a trip. And it's just taken for granted as, as uh, the yeah. way it's done now, you know? The, the, my, one of my favorite things about Cinovation, and it, like, it makes sense if you look back at the things, like, whether it's, not just the makeups, like Harry with the the, the internal like the servos, you know, right. like first right. and things that you're not used to seeing. Right. And people talk about American World how you hadn't seen something like that before. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out working there, it's like as materials were changing, you know, because I had just worked at Steve's and I had just worked with these fellows that make things from scratch. So I'm coming to Cinovation, we're making molds, but now all these materials are changing. And, right. you know, Nutty Professor, they had transformation ideas and all this. And then Men in Black with Edgar stuff. Um, it, it just comes from Rick. I know, yeah, like, yeah. Rick, like, he would come over and talk to me. And like, so what do you think about this? And I'm like, what? You want my opinion? He's like, yeah, because <laughs> you may need to do something different. And what about these new materials and this and that? And like... Like, kind of who I am now, the seeds were planted, like, you know, I had a good foundation when I landed at Cinovation. Right. But I working for Rick and in that group of people, um, they explore everything. Right, right. Like, there was, like, some molds I'd make, and it's just maybe I think Rick just needed to see it to make sure it didn't work. Right, because if you, like some people need to see it, or else right. they'll be constantly curious. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was yeah, that was amazing. The the R and D that you got, that everybody in the shop, there was R and D being done for things just to see if yeah. they would work, and yeah. you know, quite a bit of effort was put on these things, and it was like it, it, right. sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. It's like, but you know that that you know for sure that that way doesn't work now, so you can stop right. thinking about it. You know. Yeah, and and there was also an important something I learned within that time in like the mid '90s was like some of the effect shops I had worked at. Um, some of the artistic things were limited via the technical input. Right. So like the sculptor, the artist would be like, "Hey, I'd like to do this," and then like maybe I'd hear the mold maker saying, "Well, we can't do that because of this." Right. And, you know, and I would be watching and studying it going, well, what happens if you did this? Hey, hey, hey. I'm like, okay, shh. Because there was a lot of that in a lot of the shops. Yeah. And then when I got to Cinovation, that was one of the, just the idea of before something was started, like you'd be in a room. And learning how to find your voice is also important Mm -hmm. and took time. 
but you'd be in there and they'd be talking to like McLaughlin representing the mold shop. And, you know, uh, Roland had come over by now and, you know, left Canham's and he's become the foam runner, right. you know, RBFX. He yep. does his own stuff now, but yep. this is, you know, and so you would have the sculptors and Rick and you would have these conversations and you would kind of, you know, figure out like before you ever bought the clay for your sculpture, someone already knew that they were going to do the hydrocal and paint it a certain color and, Tuesday morning, it lands on Chet's desk. Right. And then we know that you got three and a half days, and then you're going to expect to float it, put it in the water. Yep. And then me and that other guy are going to have the broken down epoxy cores. And on Monday morning at 8 a.m., those land on Chet's desk. Right. So if you take that and multiply it by like 25 characters and nine, 12 sculptors. <laughs> I don't know how you guys did it, man. Well, it's just it's Bill crazy. Sturgeon was, you know, Bill coordinated. Uh, Rick, I think he was really good at putting the right people in the right places. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And how and how I felt, I just, I mean, you know, for lack of a better metaphor, I just, I felt like, you know, they just, I, like a watered plant. Right. Lots of, sun, yeah, totally. lots of sunshine and lots of, like, I felt nurtured. It's absolutely 100%. Yeah. Like, there there were some times where they'd be like, okay, this is kind of going to suck. We got to bang this out. And you're like, okay, fine. But you're but willing lot, to do it. You're willing to do it because, you know, the rest of the time yeah. you're respected and, and taken care of. And like you said, nurtured, you know? Yeah. You're part I of mean, the family. It is. When you're doing R&D... Like, because when you're, when, especially when you're a technician, one of the things that you train yourself to, uh, like, don't make a mistake, don't make a mistake, don't make a mistake. And then what happens when you start testing stuff is like you start making a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. So, like, it, that was also good for me to learn. Like, these aren't like necessarily fuck ups; they're just kind of hurdles. Right. Right. Like, you're gonna learn from it, and then maybe. It, it's like you need to go a different direction. Like maybe it fucked up because the incompatibility of certain materials, or maybe you can push through and make this work. Right. And then, you know, you get more and more experience with material and like you get mindful of things as you're working with it. Like, you know, like paint and plaster are similar. Like sometimes as they dry out, the sheen and the value of the color kind of changes. Yep. You know, so yep. like trying to trying to do your job with the various materials, mm-hmm. you learn to like visually pay attention. Right, right. Kind of kind of have a clock in your head. I started taking a lot of notes. Mm-hmm. So I would know like, well, I'm about seven minutes away from being able to do what I need to do on that. Right. You know, and planning ahead as much as you can pre prep because you have to compensate for something's going to go wrong. Right. Something always goes <laughs> wrong. That's what that that's the first time I mean the 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 fuck up factor that was a Rick another Rick term that I remember reading in uh I that I Baker's half dozen article I think in Fangoria yeah. where he talks about the fuck up factor it's part of the budget you know because there's always yeah. going to be things that fuck up you know well, you can't explore that type of stuff well especially when when you're especially yeah. when you're doing new techniques because I think this was yeah. like all about American Werewolf and it's like yeah. I was going to say that's uh you know you know, Rick, Rick's a genius, you know, it's like, imagine doing all that stuff back in, you know, for American werewolf. It's like, it's never been done before. Not, nothing even close has been done. It's like, even the stuff, like I said, the howling was one of those movies that got me really excited because I saw that first, you know, it's like, yeah, the, 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 uh, all that technology was 
from Rick, <laughs> you know, because Rob, I mean, you know, I'm sure Rob's a great innovator as well. But, you know, Rick, he was working for Rick, from, from my understanding. It's like Rick had developed yeah. all that technology and his crew. Yes. But back when it was like urethanes and stuff, they'd use urethane skins and figure out how to paint them for a lot of the st- stretchy heads. It's like yeah. back then it was so... I can't imagine how much more difficult it was back then to figure that stuff out. And it had never been done before, you know, that's that, the, that thing I'm talking about, like, uh, learning about the material, like learning how to use new materials with new ideas and how you're being observant and what to look for, what to watch uh, and different ideas of prepping. Like all of that is, things I learned from working for him at his shop. Right. Right. You know, cause yeah. mold making materials were changing and still, and you know, there's, it, it's crazy to me. Like in the nineties, you just think that people are learning about what we're doing much quicker. Right. And then 15 years later, I'm in a different shop and Hey, what about this? I'm like, well, you just do this and this. Well, that's a great idea. I'm like, 1995. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not their fault. Right. It's just, yeah. <laughs> every once in a while, I get reminders of just, and it's not just us. We're we're all employees along for the ride. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, you know, like either Rick or someone in that shop knew us enough to put us in the right place. Right, right. Right. I mean, a lot of that, like play to our strengths. And then while you're there, if you want to learn like the other, like, you know, like all the other tasks are done at such a high level. Like if you wanted to learn like seaming or painting or sculpting or hair work, well, take somebody out to lunch because they're probably 50 feet away. Right. (laughs) Exactly. All the best people and everything are right there and they're right. And you're hanging out with them every day. It was a little like looking back, I'm like, yeah. I, and I, you know, Beth makes fun of me and some of my friends. I mean, they even made a, a t shirt that says back at Rick's. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And it's, it looks like a, uh, looks like a, um, a Batman emblem, you know, <laughs> Willie over it because I, I'm currently over at Vince Van Dykes, uh-huh. you know, which is, we, we can get to that one. But, um, yeah, it's, I know I mentioned it a lot, but it's just, it, it's incomparable. Like, and I've worked in different countries. I've worked in a lot of shops. Uh, it just can't be understated. Oh yeah. On, on how special it was. Absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I always bring it up as the best, you know, the most amazing place I ever worked at. It was kind of like, I, I remember times at Rick's thinking there's no way this is going to last. Cause it's too good. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's as good as it gets. And it's it's almost too good. Like I couldn't, like how is this gonna? You know, it just felt too good to be true, kind of, for me, at least yeah. from my perspective as a sculptor. And you know, yeah. I don't I mean, know. it was we worked on a lot of cool shows. I think, like for me, um, it, it was just like I was exposed to so many different tasks, like through the Men in Black films or the Grinch, like. Oh, the hey, can, can, can you can you try like lifting? I think it's your your hat, maybe. If you just that's kind of got, how about now? now? Oh, there you go. That it's kind of, it's been kind of like going over and slightly. Oh, I'm sorry. Slightly. It's all right. That sounds great. Okay, cool. Sorry, we're back to good. Yes, okay. we're good. Well, um, like you know, one of my favorite things was like when we did Men in Black, the first one. 
you know, because everybody in the, and this was kind of an opportunity where Edgar Bug, the one that, you know, Satrakian and all those guys worked on. And mm-hmm. it was uh, the first time I ever saw a huge thing milled up in yellow foam from the computer. Right. You know, sc- scanned up from a maquette. Yeah. It was evident at the time that most of the people that were at Cinovation already were not familiar or comfortable with molding larger items. Hmm. Interesting. And so when, you know, it, it worked out pretty well where I, I was like, okay, you know, at first I'm like job security, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we're, we're having a meeting and the mold shop is 10 people surrounding Rick and Rick's talking about this and that. And because I was familiar with it, I've done car parts and motorcycles and creatures. Like that's something I was really familiar with hmm. large, large stuff and gel coats. And what I was learning in the early and mid nineties was most people in the effects industry hated gel coat mm-hmm. because of alligatoring and textures and going wrong. And right. So w- when men in black started, it was kind of like, Hey, uh, we're going to need to maybe do this and this and this. And I'm like, I'll do it. And I spoke up and Rick's wow. like, really? And I'm like, yeah, it's like, if I can get like a 2.5 quart pressure pot and you know, like get a, like 10 gallons of this gel coat and get some of this and get some of that. And there was guys that knew fiberglass in the shop, just, but no one was, right. you know, and so we had a little bit of a meeting and Rick's like, okay, write the shit down, order it, we'll use it. And at the time I didn't think much of it. And, you know, and McLaughlin came over, he's like, well, you know, you're going to learn something. It's like, I'm I, like, I hope you don't mind me speaking up. And Jim's like, no, no, no. It's just when you speak up, you're going to be held accountable now. Right. <laughs> like there, like once you verbalize something, expectations form that right. wouldn't have been there before. Right. <laughs> like silence does not create expectations. Right. Right. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Like confident. So like the first mold that I made with the gel coat, um, like Rick came into the mold shop and just looked at me and said, Hey, so take the mold and I want you to, clean it all out and I don't want the core in there and I want you to bolt the mold up. And I was like, excuse me. He's like, just go ahead and clean the mold up and bolt the mold back together without the core inside. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. And then come and get me. And I'm like, all right. You know, Johnny, <laughs> Johnny psycho and a bunch of the guys are like, Oh shit. You're in <laughs> and I'm like, what's so about a half hour later, you know, I, I told Bill, I'm like, can you have Rick come over? It comes into the mold shop and he's got some Roma clay, right? So he's kneading up the Roma clay and softening it. And he reaches inside the mold and he pushes it on the seam. And then he pulls the clay ball out. And what he's looking for is the accuracy and the alignment to make sure there's no step on the seam. Right. And then, you know, he looks at me and he looks back at the clay and gives me the sideways eye. <laughs> the famous Rick sideways eye. Oh, yeah. And, and my younger self is over there going, oh, yeah. <laughs> And he, and he looks at me, he's like, good job. And I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, just keep doing that. Killer. And man. then because of that, you know, like uh, when when Mighty Joe Young came around, they're like, hey, there's going to be big gorillas. And they were going to split the mold shop. And Jim comes up to me, he's like, hey, would you like to spearhead most of the lab work for the big gorillas? Killer. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we molded it. We did a mechanical 20-foot gorilla. At like, like all of these jobs were like, who would have ever thought? It was cool. And like, but all that said, the, I will be honest. It's like, you know, a- after being in and out of all the shops and, you know, and then, you know, Rick retiring and going through that, that, that was a tough period too. Cause 
well now that shop's like no longer an option right and a lot of the other shops are still kind of the way that the other shops used to be in the 90s mm-hmm. so it was kind of like you know i went to a few shops and i was like okay i'm having a hard time you know because i was mm-hmm. privileged you know it's like and i'm like getting back to like what about this we don't have that yeah. <laughs> what about that no what's that and i'm like oh. you know? so and then that right around then that's when um when kazu uh asked me like to go over and help at paul mccarthy's right right and so that ended up turning into a five-year job are you serious i didn't realize you were yeah. there for five years wow yeah well it was, like we went there for the like some of the photorealistic bodies and stuff and then you know, uh, interconnectivity again, synchronicity. Uh-huh. Uh, the guy that runs the mold shop, Rob Land. Yep. Rob, Yanks yep. cousin, <laughs> yeah. who I first met on the first Men in Black in like 1996. You know, when when Eddie Yang got his cousin a job. Wow. And even back then, like you know, when I was like showing him how to do stuff, uh, he would yeah, so smart. Like you know, I'm working with other mold makers at Cinovation on the big gorilla stuff. And I'd show Rob something, and he'd be like, "Yeah, man. Well, what about this?" And I'd be like, well, "That's a pretty fucking good idea." Too. Yeah, Rob's awesome. So, yeah. So, like, when I got a chance to work with him at Paul's, I was like, "Yeah, this sounds good." And mm-hmm. then when I walked into Paul's shop, I'm like, you know, it's set up kind of like Cinovation, mm-hmm. like everything that you need. And I'm like, "Okay, this is yeah, right. I can do this." And then what happened was, that's when you know Rick started becoming really artistic, and one of the first things that you know, I hadn't talked to him for a couple of years. Like we did Maleficent together. I mm. met Arian, you know, Arian Tujin. And yeah, that was a good show. That was fun. But what happened was, is he started doing his personal artwork. Like he did this little Frankenstein head that was like 10 inches tall, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, he just emailed me and said, Hey, can you make a mold for me? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> And through that, you know, and I talked to Vince um, from Vince Van Dyke Effects, and mm-hmm. we were friends at the time. And I said, "Hey, you know, I gotta do some glass. Do you mind if I do this in your shop at night and weekends?" Uh, and you know, and you're you're close to uh, Rick, and I think your work uh, is Rick approved. So mm-hmm. he, he, like, everything is lining up to where this would be okay with Rick. Right. And Vince, Vince was like, "Absolutely." And I'm like, "Okay, cool." And what I loved so much, and I felt like everything else leading up to this point was amazing, but even on those simple sculptures, one-on-one time, right? on his, like, being able to, like, just go over to his place and talk shop with him. Mm-hmm. It had been a few years, you know, the shop's gone and he's retired. Um, at the first initial feeling is like, wow, man, did I miss this. Right. And then, And then the other feeling is like, I never really had it one-on-one with him. Right. Like it was always crew, like, you know, a vast crew and you have moments of one-on-one within the environment. Exactly. Yeah, I know. I always, I always feel like I missed out on that as well. It's like, I would have loved to. Like just... those moments are rare. Yep. Yeah. You know, and Cause everybody wants, few, everybody you know, wants one-on-one time with Rick. That's the thing, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and I felt, Oh, maybe perhaps it's been earned. Yeah, you know? exactly. And he likes to keep things secret, which I love. Like um, like with the Halloween stuff, I've helped him out a few times. And, you know, he calls me up and he's like, hey, I'm going to need you to maybe, uh, I'm going to do makeups on my daughters. I'm going to wear a mask. But one of my daughters, uh, Veronica, 
um, maybe you can make the positives and negative molds for the makeup. Mm. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, what you doing? He's like, eh, just come over tomorrow on your way home from work. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so when I go over there, you know, I walk into his house, we catch up a little bit. And, you know, I go over into his sculpting area and he's got the, the hydrocal head cast painted with the sculpture on it. It's all, you know, dramatically lit. <laughs> and I look at it and you can tell that he's doing Jack from American Werewolf. Right. You know, with the, the wolf's claws going through the face and throat. Oh, I love that sculpture so much. <laughs> and, right. And, and I walk in, I'm like, your theme this year is American Werewolf in London. He's like, yeah, what do you think? And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm like, you want to mold this makeup? Yeah, I'm it's like, like oh the, my God. It's like the next best thing to working on the movie, really. <laughs> I, dude, yeah. There's these like little moments and, you know, and of course it's summer and he sculpts at a monster place. So I got to take the sculptures home and it's it's like 110 degrees outside. Yeah. You know, he'll email me and I got to take a picture of the sculptures in my house, air conditioning, set show that they didn't melt. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like there's always... Like the life of a mold maker is learning how to manage things that can always want to go wrong. Right. Definitely. And, but like, like little moments like that, the one-on-one time, um, have been really important and I've really loved them, you know? And then even like, uh, a few years back, like Henry Alvarez, um, you know of Henry mm-hmm. by yeah. name? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, of unfortunately I was at his funeral Oh, wow. Yeah, I never met him. I never got to meet him. I met him through Moto. Oh, wow. You know, back in the 90s, that's when Moto started working at Rob Boteens. And, you know, Moto got me. I worked at Boteens for a couple shows. Oh, I know. Uh, Mission Impossible, the first one, um, while while I was working at Cinovation. Oh, wow. Yeah, like the first time was the first Mission Impossible. And we were working on Nutty Professor. And, you know, that's... There's no cell phones back then. Right. <laughs> so you're, I'm in Cinovation's mold shop, and they announce on the phone, over the loudspeaker, um, uh, Rob Freitas, line two, Fernando from Botine is <laughs> oh on line God. two. And I'm at my table, and I'm like, could we have done this a different way? I look up, and all the mold makers are like, hey, motherfuckers, what's going on? <laughs> Traitor. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you go and grab the phone that's sitting on the wall in the mold shop. It's got one of those curly cords. And this is one of those times where you find out just how far that cord will stretch. Yeah. <laughs> and I go into the other room and Fernando Favilla is on there. And, and Fernando's like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, well, you called me at Rick's, so you kind of know what's going on, right? <laughs> I mean, seems a bit redundant. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, listen, I got your phone number from uh, from Moto. And uh, we got this makeup. We're doing it. It's on Tom Cruise for Mission Impossible. Now, they changed the schedule on us, and it's kind of it's messing us up a little bit. So what I was thinking was, is, um, yeah, can, can you mold it for us? And I'm like, well, like when? He's like, well, what time do you get off work? <laughs> and I'm like, 5 o'clock. And he's just like, well, how about coming out tonight and then just seeing how you do tonight and over the weekend? And we need the finished foam appliances on a plane going to London on Sunday evening. Right. What do you think? <laughs> I heard about that. <laughs> and, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so rush hour traffic, and for those listening, heading east on the, the what is it, the 210? Oh, goes my out God, to, yes. That's, that was my drive uh, home. It was terrible. I never knew it up until this point. 
I never drove out that direction up until this point. And the only thing they said, so it's Friday night traffic. Oh my god! And they said, and they said, look for the Miller High Life sign. Yeah. <laughs> and then get off, and then make a left, make a right, look for the oil changers, and that's the shop. I'm like, oh my god, I get to work at Rob Botines. <laughs> so I, you know, five o'clock comes, I'm grabbing my toolbox. The other mold makers at Cinovation are like, so are we seeing you on Monday? And I'm like, <laughs> like again. This could have went completely different. Right. Um, yeah, landlines. So <laughs> I drove out there. It took me like two hours to get there after working all yeah. day. And um, I met Moto, and they take me over. And I this is I met Ryan Peterson on oh, this yeah. job. Yeah. Because the sculpture is not done yet. Right. <laughs> so it's this whole facial cow piece. The ears. They put cutting edges on the inside of the ears. Uh, like weird decisions, and I'm like looking at it going. So one, two, like three, four, five piece ultra cow mold. Like, are you kidding? <laughs> and, and I hear this, hey man. And I turn and it's Rob. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, and I just, I start tripping out. I'm like, hey. And Moto starts laughing at me. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, Rob's like, Moto, I'm going to take him before he gets to work. Come on, man. And I'm like, okay. So Boating took me into his office and we just kind of hung out. And he, he slid a piece of paper across the table. And he looked at me and was like, Moto tells me that you're good at what you do. And I'm like, that's nice of him. And he's <laughs> like, all right, so um, I need this makeup done. Does that sound feasible to you? Like mold it, you know, open it, clean it. We're going to run some foam and then put it in a box on Sunday. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, how many hours it takes, whatever you got. Uh, like, I just, I need you to finish it, whatever it takes. And I'm like, Okay. He's like, so you're the man for the job. And I'm like, yeah. And he slides a piece of paper, like, you know, an employment agreement. And he's like, there's that space right there. Write down a number. Make it worth your while. And I was like, you know, I'm young, so I don't know. Like, this is crazy. Bob Boutine just told me to name my price. Amazing. So I write down a number and I slide it back across the table. He laughed. He's like, how about I do this for you? And he wrote down a higher number. Oh, no way. Yeah, and I looked at it, and I was like, yeah, I can. All right. He's like, you had a long drive? Yeah. He's like, you want to relax before you get to work? Hey, come here. I'll show you some displays. So he shows me this display room with, like, this darkness and full-size Robocop. Like, all the, right. you know, all the cool shit that I used to hear, like, Henry talk about when he's with Moto. Right? Mm -hmm. So I go back into the shop. I start making the mold. It's an all-nighter. Right, they're bringing me Thai food. I'm meeting Fernando. They're, over there is this big silicone autopsy body. I'm like, what's that for? He's like, well, if you want to help and trim the scene, I'm like, well, what's it for? He's like, I don't know, some movie called Seven. It's <laughs> a <Some> movie <laughs> called Seven. <laughs> I didn't know. That's it. It's like this. I've never seen a silicone body before. Oh, so wow. I'm going over there and poking it with. You know, this is February '95. Somewhere in there. And that movie's meant to come out in fall. Uh -huh. So, uh, you know, and I'd like, I'm like, okay, so I do like an ultra cow piece of the mold. And then while it was cooling down, I'd go over there and with scissors trim the silicone seam on this big gluttony body. Right. And then when the mold was done, I cleaned it. Everything went well. I went home Sunday morning. You know, when I met Ryan, I was flashing the mold and Ryan was on the other side of the Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You were there the whole time from... Yes. Friday to Sunday? Yes. Working like, did you sleep? Um, I took a nap like Saturday afternoon. 
where? Well, because uh, <laughs> on like, a couch they, or something. They, they had they had like cot areas. Oh. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> well, because the 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 you know because it was an, during an all nighter, my pace was a little slower. I was tired. Right, right. Um, there was a lot of talking and catching up. They seemed relaxed. They're like, like you know, because part of me is like, man, you're paying me. I got to get to work. But both team would you know come over. It's like, so hey man, how's it going over there? You know, like the, and I'm like. I can't say no to Rob if he wants to talk. All right. I'm like, you're paying me. So like the mold was like, they didn't need me to rush through it. They just needed me to finish it. Right. Right. So there was like meal breaks. And when the five piece mold was done, we opened it. They came over and he liked it. Um, and one of my favorite compliments came from, uh, Rob and art Pimentel, who was running the mold shop. But when the mold was done, Rob had come over and went uh, like, "Hey, you know Gunner? Because Gunner used to be both teams mold maker through the '80s, right? Right, right. That's like he worked for Rick for a while, and then um, Rick closed his shop down for a little bit after um, Greystoke, and then that's when Gunner went to Rob's and so Explorers and Legend and RoboCop and all those movies. Gunner was the main. The thing wasn't the thing. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because he's that's a character. Right. He's like a body oh. of a thing, right? <laughs> he's, right. he's that fro- frozen guy that's with how, the sliced neck, right? That was the only photo. It's like, look, that's you know Rick Baker's mold maker, Rob Bottin's mold maker. It's that <laughs> frozen guy in the beginning of Kurt Russell's The Thing. <laughs> yeah, and so like you know, it all comes together. It's like they look at it and like, hey, that's your mold work. Kind of reminds us of Gunners, and I was like. Wow, and Moto, Moto, you know my mentor who's right there right. is kind of like crossing his arms, looking really proud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so I shook Rob's hand and said, you know, to Ryan and Moto, I just I'll see you guys later, and that was that. Amazing. And then, yeah, it's these jobs just they used to pop up, mm-hmm. and then you know, cut to 2013, so many years later. Um, the same year, like that's I was at Henry's funeral, and for whatever reason, Gunner was someone that I always wanted to meet, you know, Gun- because Gunner? he was the mold maker, right. Gunner Ferdinand. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. um, and I think that he was the first guy to ever just make molds in an effect shop. Mm-hmm. Not sculpt, not like effect, I said, just... he was the first celebrity mold maker in in our in the, in our he, little circle. Yeah. He was the guy he, everyone he, was like. He was the mold maker. Yeah, and I guess it's. Like he retired as I started working. I worked at Rob's and you hear his name and I always used to talk about him all the time. And I guess I just always assumed that he had moved back to Europe. Mm -hmm. So here I am years later, you know, and things are changing. Like I can tell Rick's going to retire and what now? And I'm at a funeral and Henry's there and Moto passed a few years later or earlier. A moment of reflection. And I met a guy, Fernando introduced me to him. And he was kind of like, hey, um, uh, he's, this is Rob. And he's kind of like Gunner. He's like, hey, have you seen Gunner lately? And they started talking about Gunner in front of me. I'm like, so Gunner's still here? Like, yeah, he was in Van Nuys. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> wow. So um, through a course of events, uh, Brian Wade, who was still in contact with Gunner, um, he and I work it out to where I went over to Gunner's house on a Saturday and met him. How cool. And, it was kind of awkward because, you know, at the time he's meeting somebody, he's like 86 years old. And he's like, who's this guy? And right. it, was a, it, it was a quick meeting and then it was over. Right. And I'm so uh, knowing his age and that, well, we're old school, aren't we? So I wrote him a letter and put it in the mailbox. There you go. 
That's smart. I had his address. And I told him, I said, look, um, that's not exactly how I want it. It didn't, I didn't want a 20 minute, hello, shake your hand, bye. Right. Got a picture. Yeah. Um, I want to chat shop with you. And I just, I wrote a long letter and he wrote me a long letter back. I said, see you Saturday at 10. Oh, uh, cool. And then um, one of my favorite things that happened was a few months after that, um, it was through Bill Sturgeon, actually, uh, through the, the Getty Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some curators and some people that were interested in talking to someone that was old school and maybe getting some advice from someone like Gunner. Mm-hmm. So uh, I picked up Gunner at his house, took him to Cinovation Studios. Inside the mold shop at Cinovation Studios, we sat with the people from the Getty Museum. And I have Bill took video and pictures. Amazing. And then, yeah, and then we went out to lunch, and Rick and Gunner hadn't seen each other for, what, 28 years? Wow. So they caught up, you know, and so after all of that, I get Gunner in my truck and I drive back to his house and we're having a beer in his garden. And he says, uh, you know, thanks. And I'm like, what? He's like, well, for a long time, I always thought Rick was mad at me because, you know, I came back from England and I went to work over at Rob Botin's shop. Mm. And, it, and as it turns out, he wasn't really mad at me. He just didn't have work for me, and he was happy that I found work elsewhere because right. I was good at what I do. And I'm right. like, so you feel good? And he's like, I feel good. Wow, how you know? cool. What a cool thing that you were able to do for him, for someone it you admired neat. so much, you know? Well, yeah. He, he's like the prototype for those that do what I do. Right. You know? Yep. And then um, I'm glad that he did this because Gunner, unfortunately, um, rest in peace, passed away uh, a year ago. Oh, wow. At the age of 93. Wow, that's a good um, run. And Yeah, it was. And so what he did unexpectedly for me, with me, was um, there was a myth, the string mold, right? Everybody yeah, hit- right. This, uh, you have to explain that to the audience. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. There was this myth of someone... Like to explain undercuts and a mold, it's kind of like the easiest way to do it is like trying to take your shoe off without untying it mm. or trying to get your wrist through the sleeve without undoing the button at the end of the sleeve. Right. Like that's an undercut, a lock. So molds are made in multiple pieces just so you can get them off the round object or else you wouldn't be able to get the round object from a one piece mold. It would be locked inside like a lollipop, right? Right. Like that, like that wrist to cuff. Good I don't know if that's a good explanation. It is. Okay. All right. So on the thing, the rumor was, and it was like this myth, that Gunner was asked to mold a boot and then make a latex copy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Gunner went away, made a mold, and impossibly quickly returned with a latex boot. And people were like, how did you? He's like, well, he used a string. But how do you use a string with plaster? And so the idea is the, the plaster is began and the string is put into the plaster near the surface of the mold. And then so you do all the pieces at once and all the plaster at once. And then when the plaster is set up enough to cut with the string, you pull the string out through the plaster and it separates the pieces for you. Right. Now – over the years, I had heard so many different ways of doing this. Um, it's like cooking a, a like 
like a different like menu recipe. Everybody claimed to have grandma's recipe, right. <laughs> and, and none none of it tasted right. <laughs> it was just one of those things. Right. So, uh, you know, after I met Gunner and after he caught up with Rick, he had me come over, and I thought it was going to be beer in the garden. And when I got there, he, you know, walked me out back, and on top of his winter chopping block, he had taken water based clay and made a shape almost like an old milk bottle from the 70s. Mm-hmm. And I look over on the table, and he had some plaster. He had his granddad's spade-shaped plaster-throwing tool <laughs> and a spool of string. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I looked at him, and I'm like, what? And he's just like, someone needs to know. Are you serious? Yeah, I oh my God. pictures. I'll have to. I'll, I'll, I'll Holy shit! Holy shit! And That's amazing. So over, over the course, and no rubber gloves were allowed. You know, because I like to wear rubber gloves to protect my hands. And I'm like, where are the rubber gloves? And he just laughed at me. Like, okay. And so he began to walk me through step by step a three piece plaster mold, but he did it in a way to where we used color in the surface coat, and when the string cuts it like a knife through butter. If you look at the finished mold, the mold's got registration keys on the flange. So people are like, well, if you cut it like a knife through butter with the string through plaster, how'd you get keys? Wouldn't the key get cut off? And I'm like, hence why he had me over there for the afternoon and showed me how to do it. Wow. We did it all out of, like, it was a continuous plaster batch. We made a big batch of plaster, uh-huh. took a small batch aside, added some color to it. He shot like I had to throw it with my fingers. Right, right. And Old he, school. <laughs> he had, yeah, and he had a paint stick in his hand. So when I wasn't doing it right, he was slapping the back of my palm with the paint stick. He's like, not like that. And I'm like, ow, what are you doing? You know, so he, he showed me how to do it. I did a finished mold. We opened the mold. We cleaned it. I took pictures of the mold. I took pictures of it together, showing how incredibly tight it was. Oh, wow. So all... All the little details and how-tos are in my noggin. And we went and sat at his little table, and I had a beer. That's so amazing. I can't believe that. I can't, it's like the most, I mean, I, everybody knows about the string myth. You know, it's like, it's like a mythical thing. It's, and it, you, you, got, you, you got the, the secret knowledge. There's other ways <laughs> to do it successfully, but Gunner, of course, like there's ways of doing something and then there's that extra, right. like this, this one has keys on it. This one, like when you see the seam, it's like, there is no seam. And he's like, well, there's a little bit of one. I'm like, this is as tight as epoxy mold. Oh, I can't wait to and, see these pictures. <laughs> yeah. I, I have them on my, they're on my Instagram. I'll cool. Maybe we can put them, put them in the, uh, oh, yeah. Patreon. Like, Cause I, I usually do like a little gallery of the interviews of people's work. I know. Work. I look through them. Okay. Like, yeah. So. I, yeah, we can put yours on the. Your podcast is a pretty great thing, dude. Oh, thanks, thanks. Yeah, yeah, it's fun for me. It's I I learn so much, and it's like the only time I get to hear these stories and talk to people, you know, mm. that I've known for years. It's like to get to really get to know people, you know, by interviewing them. Well, yeah, because we work together at Innovation, and it's Innovation is the shop was kind of huge and separated. Yeah, and it's like you know, you know, yeah. that's why you know I feel completely comfortable talking to you because we worked together for years. But right. still, it's like we never sat down, and I never heard your background or your history because it's like it's like a different, it's like a working friendship. You know how it is. It's like you know everybody, oh, yeah. you know their quirks, 
You know how to get along with them. You know what they like, what they don't like on a general level because you're working with them every day. But there's not a lot of there's just, there's not a lot of the one on one unless you're pulling a late nighter with someone, you know. Yeah. And, you, and that's actually how I got to uh, get to know Moto. Really was because I knew him casually he, for he a long time. He spoke all of you. You oh, guys he, spent a yeah yeah we, yeah because sexual motion. Go ahead. Yeah I no no you. it was just like we we. Um, Got really got into deep conversations during, uh, I think it was Fantastic Four or, you know, sculpting that bodysuit. And yeah, we really talked a lot about spiritual stuff, actually. A lot of that kind of like meditation and Buddhism and spirituality and stuff, which he was very, he was like a skeptic. He was very, he was, he was a Buddhist, but he he was like, I was like into Zen Buddhism. And he, I remember him telling me, Zen Buddhism is not real Buddhism. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and it was like, so it was definitely, there was like a uh, kind of opposing viewpoints. And I was more like the hippy dippy, magical, whatever guy. And he was, a little, you know, he was Moto. He was, he was more of like a, the strong, silent, stern kind of, these are how things are. You know what I mean? And I was like, yes. I think these are how things are real. I mean, there's like room, there's, there's more to it than that. And we got into it deep, man. We got into it deep. Yes. And, and it's like, that's where I really, that's where we really connected. It was really kind of an amazing time for, for me, you know. I used um, to do that a lot with them. We used to go out to dinner a lot. Yeah. Because see, for, for me, the, like, one of the things for myself is, like, I've always, my mind races. Mm-hmm. Right? It, 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 I just, I can't slow it down sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes... You know, like I'll be having a conversation and my mind's on something else. Already. Right, right. And then what happens is when my mind gets distracted, like you know, as we get older, I'm able to dissect this. I can't, it doesn't make me talk less. But, <laughs> you know, it's like how to understand how to achieve certain, like you have to be in certain frame of mind to do certain tasks. Right. Right. And the right. thing with me that was always difficult was like how to quiet the left side. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like I need it kind of a little bit because of what I do. Is oh, yeah. It's just a matter of being able to know how to to use it when you need it and not right. have it go constantly crazy when you don't need it. Right. Which exactly. is what meditation's all about, really. You know, exactly. Because I used to what happened, like I smoked a lot of weed when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And that was like how I used to cope with it a little bit. Right. But the, the problem I had with that is it. Like for me, once you're once I was high, um, it kind of turned the left side of the brain off. Right, right. And when I'm doing what I like to do, uh, I kind of I count on the left side to interrupt every once in a while and catch those little things as I'm working. Right. <laughs> so right. So what happens is you know like for me like podcasts and music become very important. Yeah. So because it's kind of like you know when you meditate, I know there's different types. I I have my own things I do that try to assimilate meditation, mm-hmm. but like they have the one where uh, you can either focus on something and think about it in a like almost a third person type way. Mm-hmm. Am I right in thinking that? Mm-hmm. And then you and then you have the other type where the breathing, um, the, yeah. the 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 breathing is meant to like to put mute the other voices well, it's like, all that other crap it, right it, it, you you focus all of your attention on the breathing this is the most common way so that yeah. when you're focused on your breathing you can't focus on anything else so it's like it's forcing you to put your attention all in one spot basically 
Yeah. You know? Like, <clears throat> I do. A Rubik's Cube for me. It sounds silly and mm, stupid, but no. sometimes when I go, like, when I go to jobs, I'll have a Rubik's Cube, and, like, in the morning, like, with a cup of coffee or something, people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, because once I start doing the cube, it, like, it's almost like the breathing idea. Yeah. Right? To- it's exact. It's the exact same thing. It's the exact same you know? thing. And lately I've noticed, you know, because, like, working in... You know, like the industry, it's it's different as we age, mm-hmm. and and to find different ways of going about it. Like uh, I've been thinking about meditation lately because you know one of the things I used to do for meditation was like my motorcycle. Mm-hmm. I just I don't ride as much as I used to, mm-hmm. but it it relaxes me so much. Oh but yeah, then, you know, because whatever you're thinking about, yeah, we'll ride high speed into the left turn and. When you start negotiating the road and thinking about what you're doing, yeah, it completely occupies your that part of your yeah. mind, you know. Yeah, and then I'm just there doing that, and that's it in the moment. And, and when I don't write as much as I'm aging, what I'm finding out, it's harder for me to find calm. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and also like you know, it's like just just being older the your mind and body work differently than we did when we were younger yeah you know like yeah. even like you know it's like the efforts it takes to like finish a, a paint job or like to stay up like even get going like oh yeah to- exactly <laughs> get going in the morning and also recover from all nighters that's one one of the biggest yeah. things I, I used to you know just like we used to always just like doing that weekend at Rob's it's like yeah. I, I couldn't I don't know that I could do something like that now. It's like I sometimes no. have to, occasionally, if I have a deadline, I'll have to pull an all nighter. And it takes me, it's like the older I get, the longer it takes me to recover and get back to normal. It's really weird, but I could see it. It used to be like a day and I, yeah. a day of chilling and I'd be ready to go, or else I didn't even need a recovery time when I was older. Then it would be like a day and then it would be like a weekend. And now it takes me like a week after pushing myself hard like that you know and it's just age it's, you know it's it's a it's a tough realization to like i think now as i'm getting older i just have to acknowledge and go about things in a different way right yeah now I'm, like I'm trying when, to avoid it in the all-nighters in the first place because right. <laughs> then you get in a bad like it affects my attitude totally my man and, it puts me in a and, it makes me a dick Turns yeah, me into a dick, and I'm normally not a dick. It's weird. Yeah, it, it, but it's it. The hard part, I think, sometimes is like if someone is younger, they're not going to understand. Right. Well, it's just like Mitch. Mitch would never, ever, yeah. ever, 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 ever work overtime or a weekend <laughs> ever. It was like yeah. you know, people, occasionally you get asked to come in on the weekend. <laughs> Mitch would fucking never. It was like one of his primary rules that he would never work past five and he would never work on a weekend no matter what you couldn't pay him you couldn't pay him like enough to do it he just wouldn't do it and it was like and he was you know what he's he's older i don't know how many years older like maybe 10 years older than Mm. us around that so it was like he was the older guy yeah Yeah, he was the older guy and it was like i was always like you know why don't you work Kevin, I'm coming in on the weekend. You should come in. He's like, nope, nope. And it was like, maybe because he was older and he realized it's like, aside from his free time was valuable, but yeah. it's it's harder to do the older you get, that sort of thing, you know? Yeah, I find like I'm like starting to reintroduce the 
hobbies. Like I'm playing a lot Same more here, guitar. Same here, man. Same here. Music. That's my hobby now. It's like, yeah, oh, it's so much and, fun as a hobby. <laughs> yeah. It, well, you just, yeah, it's all those little things I used to do in my like childhood bedroom during summer vacation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yep. and I you just and how you use these hobbies. It's different. Like, you know, like sometimes like learning new music is something I didn't do for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the process of using your ear and lifting the needle and finding the notes and it not being in a hurry. Right. And these days you just go online, you get the tablature. It's kind of like, well, I, kinda... <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so actually, you know, like listening to music and like, I never learned that song. Maybe I, yeah, I think I want to. And yeah, it's been really refreshing. Mm-hmm. It's been good. It's, it's just, you know, getting older. You just got to learn to do things differently. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been interesting. It, totally. It's definitely not you know? boring. It's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like my favorite part about the podcast and all the, different artists and people that you have is like it's kind of overwhelming when you try to check out all of their art right right because yeah. the, the content wise you just have to be patient and realize that okay like today i'll check out a couple or because i'm slow when i try to absorb like art mm-hmm. you know and you go to someone's wall and it's like oh three thousand posts yeah, oh my right. god <laughs> exactly it's like like, this is going to take a month to get through proper right right Um, but the one thing that i really enjoyed uh and i think it's so cool to see it kind of you're gaining more momentum Mm -hmm. and you know it's the mindset behind a lot of the people like their thoughts and like like you're saying their paths and how they go about different things and like the synchronicities and the similarities and it it kind of fascinates me, mm-hmm. and it, it, it like a lot of them are very similar to like the people that we worked with on some of our favorite movie jobs, right? You know, and that was something that I missed. My favorite thing about the film industry in the '90s that's different now is the the international contingent's not there anymore, right? Because the industry is so global. There's shops back home, so why would they come to L.A.? Right, right. That's true. That's true. And one of my, one of the things I really love about like the early mid '90s is like you go into a shop and you just met people instantaneously right. from all over the world. Right, right. You and know, you had and this comp, this one super weird common thing that exactly. you loved, and it automatically made you're like you know your bro your bros with you know anybody that's an effects guy because back in the day it was like hardly anybody was into it you know it's like you had to really seek that stuff out so so you had this crazy weird interest you know so automatically you're able to talk to people from you know all over the world it's like oh we have this genetic component this weird genetic component we're into makeup effects (laughs) well it's like the music and the movies and Mm -hmm. it was almost like yeah, like right. The filtering process had already happened. Right, right. And it's like, yeah, it wasn't uncommon to like just start a new job and like be hanging out with some of the fellas like really, really quickly, right? Right. And but then that changed, and like kind of like around the like the two thousands and like end of the nineties, two thousands. I think like England got you know like Nick Gudman trained in an entire army of like those Harry Potter films. Right. You know, and like there's a lot of talent, like through the 90s, I'm aware and friends with a lot of like people our age right. that have been doing it in London since. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like us since like the eighties and shit, but they, the industry really picked up and then, you know, Prague became a thing. Australia became a thing. New Zealand became a thing. Like all of these countries, they have their own industry. Right. So when it came to the LA side of it, um, it's kind of cut off. Yeah. And that was like, I remember, you know, you get to know everybody in the shops in LA and most people that I know that do tech work, especially, um, just focus on the Los Angeles part. Right. And some, and, uh, I remember like Michael Key brought me out in 2012 to like one of those IMAT shows, mm-hmm. the International Makeup Trade Show. And I did like a little lecture, like just talking about my work and whatnot. And at first I thought, the silly American going over to England and saying, this is how I do it. <laughs> like, 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 would you want someone coming to LA to say the same thing? No. <laughs> As it turned out, their frame of mind is just different. They're just, you're into it? Yeah. Well, we are too. Cool. Yeah, right. And they had a there was a, a a bar that night that we went to Saturday night because it's a two, it's it, you know it's kind of like Monster Paloozas and stuff, right? So you have the Saturday and the Sunday and Saturday night everybody gets together. And I went to this bar and there was a table from Greece, like ten or twelve people, and then France and Italy, Scotland, right. Ireland over here, England, and I just all night I just. And I mean, I even like this this friend of mine, Brian Best, who I've always been referred to. He's like, he's kind of like the English version of you. I'm like, okay. And he even like, he supervised the mold shop on like Batman Begins. So he's got that too. And we're very similar. And when I went to London on this trip, I enjoyed the lecture. I enjoyed meeting all the international people, talking shop, like mm-hmm. especially face to face, just you know what I mean? And I felt that a lot of people in Europe liked my work, especially with the collapsible core stuff. Non, yeah. Because it's old school. Right. It's not fancy, expensive silicone. It's like you can do it just with hard parts. So it's like an inverted piece mold. Right. Like how they've always done molds for centuries in Europe. And I'm right. like, yeah. Like, <laughs> I learned from my grandpa. And I just, for makeup molds, I just turned it inside out. Right. And they're like, they see the lineage. Yeah, yeah, they appreciate the history. Right, you know? and you know, and that's the why tradition. you know when I talk with guys like Gunner, it was the same. So when I went to London, I hired, rented a little cell phone so I could reach out to Brian Best and say, "Dude, I'm here. I don't know when I'll come back. So like, let's say hi." And in a snowstorm, the dude gets on a train, just had a baby. He's gonna comes out to the bar. I'm like, "How will I find you?" He's like, "I'm wearing orange pants." I'm like, "There's orange <laughs> pants." Like, and we just sit down and talk shop for a couple hours, like. Like, I love it when a craft breaks borders. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I remember, like, that weekend in London was amazing for me. All the different people I met from all over. It's like, ah, so it was refreshing. And I think for art, your podcast is kind of doing a similar thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get it. You're not in the shops anymore and, like, you're, it's a different craft. It's a different uh, group, so to speak. But you're getting, like, having a place to come together is, you know, it's well, important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think that's another thing that I've dis- that I've discovered with age, that community is important. And um, something I, maybe I took for granted when I was younger. Or, you know, the, the other thing is that, you know, the the reason I, I started doing the conjoined shows was like, you know, all the people in effects that I knew were like, I thought they were better artists than the people 
for the for a lot in a lot of ways than the people that were fine artists. I was like, there's right. so much. I've always said that so much talent in makeup effects. At Rick's shop, there was so much talent in there, and so I the idea was like, I know all these guys, and they're always talking. They wanted about wanting to do fine art, but they never are do it. So I'm gonna make this show and then invite a bunch of people in, and so it, and so it's like, <clears throat> um, so so that was like a, a bridge between the two, the fine art and the makeup effects, you know, and um, then when I started doing this podcast, I, I it, it I started uh, bringing in, I started out just in the the kind of the field I'm in now, which is fine art, you know, but yeah. then I started bringing in effects people just because you know i know them and they're interesting and cool people but the similarities between it's like we it's just like i ended up going to fine art but i was a makeup effects guy it's like they're not really that different you know it's really you know they're very similar and the influences are similar and it's just really they've the professions that 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 are are different the the how they chose to go it's like you know i i I went into effects because I was completely captivated by it when I was a kid. That's and I just couldn't do anything else. And uh, eventually, after working next to Mitch for five years, you <laughs> start thinking about getting out. And uh, to, you know, and and seeing, you know, there's a lot of reasons because it was it was more like painters were starting. Mark Ryden had a book out, and I was starting to see how you could paint cool, weird shit and maybe make a living out of it. So then I started trying to get out and I felt kind of like I sort of, you know, got as, went as far as I wanted to go in effects really. But it was part of really part of it was Mitch constantly talking shit about the industry. And it was like, (laughs) so it gave me kind of a warped sense of like, I started getting all like bitter about the industry, like really bitter. And when I left, I was so hated it. And then I got some distance from it. It really, it took me about like a year. I, I remember this. And yeah. I, and then I'd look back at, and now it's like all fond memories and it's like I kind of miss it and it was like it was a great job it was such a cool job the people were so cool you know yeah. we're making monsters every day it's like it doesn't get any better than that you know it's it's mm-hmm. it's amazing and and the the thing for for me personally it's like now I get to make you know just whatever I want instead of you know you have to make this thirteen percent scary thirteen percent less scary you know. Whatever the the thing they would give you uh, for a creature sculpture, you know what I mean. The, the stuff that sculptors would always bitch about, you know, have, yes. not not being able to be real creative with it. So I get that out of, out of the fine art. But anyway, my so so it's like Mitch really was important to me in that way. Even though it was like I don't think his view was accurate. Like he was more negative than I think it really He's, was. He was a bit jaded. Yeah, yeah he was super jaded. But yeah. but it was. For me, it was great because it like p- kind of helped push me to where I was su- supposed to be because I, you know, my path in life changed basically, you know. So, yeah. so I'm really, uh, and he was very supportive too. He wasn't just like a bitch fest, and he was very like, you know, you should get out and do your own thing. And so, um, but anyway, I, I, I love the idea of bringing in, not having this just be about fine artists and painters, but just bringing people that are. Like I said, we grew up on the same shit. It's like famous monsters, yep. and so many of the artists I interview, especially the ones around our age, had such a similar uh, background, even from different parts of the world and different parts of the country. It's, I always say, it's almost like be, like a genetic thing. You know, it's like it's it's weird. It's a weird thing. 
there's i think it's just it remind every time you meet people from further away like you know, when i worked in new zealand i went out there to weta you know spent a few months on the hobbit because i had met some of them on a job in europe when we were doing narnia mm-hmm. we did makeups at b and they did the armor so i had some good friends from weta in new zealand and everywhere you go it's just i'm always like you're gonna find similar types everywhere and i mm-hmm. just usually seek out people that are into the craft right and you know the, the thing about me and 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 my my own craft is the the tough part is like you know if like when you first started your own thing Chet it's like you know when you start going down like hey I'm gonna sculpture mold and cast it's like it's not fucking cheap oh yeah <laughs> that's like I did that remember right? that sculpture I did at Rick's yeah, that I was sculpting yeah. I sculpted it for like, a year <laughs> yeah that dude and then I was like I'm gonna mold it sculpt it I'm gonna cast it. Seen yeah. it, and it was like I did that once, and that was the last time I did it. I was like, that was a fucking nightmare. It was so expensive. It took. It was so hard. I fucked the mold up. I, you know, it was super heavy. It was so hard to cast. It was like after it's that, tough. I realized the the value of of other, you know, reaching out to experts in their field and having them, yeah. you know, hiring out. It was like the only way to go, man. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing to do, and you know, like for me, the other thing too is like. I'm just a middleman. That's the tough part. Like every once in a while, um, there are things that I'm going to get back into this year, like utilizing molds and casts, but to produce things that uh, are more interesting. Mm. Uh, and like, cause I think the parameters of what's possible mm-hmm. is everybody's focused on what the computer can 3d print, right? But like molds and casts and things like, uh, you know, cause I'm depending on artists. I mold sculpture. Right. So without sculptures being done, I don't really have anything to mold. Right. And and then so when, you know, like my friends, like you like Norman, I like to mold some of his personal stuff. And, and you know, and Rick, we talked about that. Um, it's always a thing. It's like, hey, so, you know, you're the artist. You got a sculpture. You're trying to get something going. Thus, you're budget centered right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're calling me to mold your art piece. Uh huh. Like, <laughs> and, and talking money, really, you know, it's tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the one thing about myself is, I usually just see things, and if I'm excited about it enough, I will sort it out to everybody's happy. Right, right. Like I've seen sculptures on like Instagram, like John Wrightson did this tentacle thing with, the, and I just called him up and I'm like, "Who's molding?" He's like, "I have no idea how to do it." And I'm like. Uh, give it to me. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> but we'll, we'll work something out. Like Kevin Kirkpatrick did this like really cool, like lamp. That's an octopus tentacle uh-huh. coming out of a little hatch. Uh-huh. And you know, again, it's like, I think this is back on the Facebook days. I just, I, you know, Hey Kev, we're friends. I emailed him. So what are you going to do about molding that thing? It looks kind of, uh, you know, elaborate. He's like, dude, I have no idea. <laughs> that's, so, the, that, uh, that's the cool <laughs> thing about people like you. It's like, you know, you see you see something like that and you're like, oh, this would be so cool to mold. Yes. And we make it and go, oh, my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> like it's, you know, it's a nightmare for someone like me who has just kind of basic mold making knowledge to yeah. even think about it. And so it's like it's so cool to have someone. Uh, I mean, I, I always thought that you out of anybody, you are the only person that I, I uh, have ever known 
in the industry that had so much enthusiasm for what you for malts. And it was like, yeah. like I said, it was it was what really made me be like. I mean, I re- I remember it with you. I remember like, you know, this guy makes me excited about molds. <laughs> you know, it's like it made me realize yeah. how how important molds are and how beautiful. It sounds cheesy, but how beautiful a well made mold can be. It really is like yeah. a beautiful thing. The way it goes together, it's like, oh, it's like ah, it's like you can do it to where it's like the best it can be. Just like everything they did at Rick's is the best it yeah. can be. And there's. And there's so much, uh, there's like ma- a magic in that. Really, it's like a ma- to, to be able to craft something like that is kind of, it, it, it takes it beyond just this like utilitarian thing that has to be done. It's like when you, mm. when you make this something that, you know, people have, don't have so much regard for and you do it so well, it's like it, it, it elevates it beyond its status in a way, I think. It, it's important. I think one of, one of my goals kind of in the process of it is like, I remember like when I first started working at Cinovation, when I started getting to a point of maybe being slightly more creative with molds, Mm -hmm. the whole idea was I don't want an artist to pull back on something out of technical fear. Right. Like you can have a conversation and maybe minimize that, maybe think about this, maybe if this part little comes off first, whatever. But too many times I like sculpt it. Turn the left side of your brain off. Go full right. Right. Go nuts. (laughs) Let me figure it out. (laughs) Yes. And when I got to a point, you know, like, you know, Jose Fernandez, he had me mold this Adam and Eve thing that he did. That was five feet sculpted out of Le Beau Touche. Wow. You know, <laughs> you could, it's called bone. It had like female hair that was all individual. Right. I'll send a picture to you. Yeah. Like, you know, Fernando called me up. Jose called me up. Like, hey, you want to come and mold it? And I just, I was like, whoa, it's, it's going to be a challenge. I'm like, yeah, but that's what I like. Yeah. And I love that. Like, I, I kind of take pride in the fact that these are people that know better. And did it anyhow. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, if you can call me and, like, I'm your insurance program, whatever. Right. I Like, I, like, you know, even, like, with Rick, like, Rick can mold all of his own stuff, and he knows it. Right. Like, sometimes it's because he's got too much, and I'm just helping alleviate some of it. Um, but then he did, like, that Joker for um, Sideshow. Right. You know, and he didn't tell me that, like, what it was. Again, you know, he called me up and said, hey, I got this mold. I'm like, okay. <laughs> He's like, you know, I started sculpting out of wet clay, and I didn't think about it too much. And now it's this whole big thing, and I don't think I can mold it myself. I'm like, so you had fun sculpting it? He's like, yeah, it was a blast. I'm like, <laughs> all right, yeah, I'd love to see it. And he didn't tell me what it was. Uh-huh. And obviously, anybody listening, I'm a huge Batman fan and love the joker character and all that and again i got an email over you know went over to his place on the way home from work he's got it all dramatically lit uh-huh. and i just i walked into his place and looked at it and went holy shit <laughs> and he's like you like it and i'm like isn't that the reaction you lit it for and yeah like, right and i'm like oh crap this is gonna be a tough one he's like that's why i called you and i'm like you didn't make it easy <laughs> but there were things about it that i love like you know, like the idea of it had a hair curl on the top of its head as an example. Right. And for those listening, for, to mold and cast this all as one, could I do it? Yes. 
flexing my muscles. Sure. Do I need to prove that it can be done? No. Right. So, you know, because it's going to be a production mold and they're going to make like, I don't know, like 500 or I, I forget the number, maybe like a thousand. And um, I was just kind of like, all right, well, if we took that off, the rest is pretty simple. He's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, it'd be easy to put it back on as long as we cut it off right. Right. And the picture I would love is me and Rick both in our little, because I had my old Cinovation pullover smock. Yeah. And he's he's got his, so we're in matching gray smocks. <laughs> and so I'm doing the wire trick. You ever seen how you wrap a wire around something and you pull it and it tightens like a little knot? Mm-hmm. And it actually cut, you know, you use it to cut through the clay. Yeah. Yeah. So I had him hold the little hair thing. I grabbed a little string and just went, whoop, and he's got the little hair thing in his hand. So I started molding the bust. He's over there molding a little piece of hair. Sure, I didn't have to cut it to mold it. But the idea that we were able to have a conversation about it, and originally he just went nuts. He sculpted exactly what he wanted. Mm -hmm. And then, like, let's figure the rest out later. Because he's used to being around people that can pull rabbits out of their hats at times. Yeah. (laughs) Like Satrap. So tracking with the mechanics and oh my all God, these people, yeah. you know what I mean? It's And so for me, I enjoy the idea that there are artists out there that perceive me as someone that maybe enables them to artistically go further than yeah. normal. Yeah. Even if I don't mold it, even if they just talk to me about like, you know, I talk shop and I'll consult and then you can hire someone else to do it or just right. do it yourself. Right. <clears throat> But but this because molding and casting is tough, and a lot of times people will limit the art because they're thinking too early about the technical. Right. I'm not saying that they shouldn't work together. Yeah, yeah. But if you have a technician that's good at what they do, you know, like you have like things molded, mm-hmm. and then just they'll tell you like, okay, see that? Yeah, we need to pull that back a little. Right, right. But it's I think it's beneficial to allow the artist to go further than they normally will yeah go turn the left side just go nuts put on some music find that groove right let it let it become what it is like a painting it's easy because well it's easier to do that for the artist i think i see a lot of people that sculpt and they start thinking about the technical aspects right but because it needs to be molded afterwards Mm -hmm. and cast and the different materials and I do think it's important to have conversations ahead of time about all of that. But I do also think it's important for, like, let the artist flex their muscles and then let the technician enjoy the puzzle. Right. <laughs> and that's always been my thing. And I think that there are people along the way that have maybe appreciated and been attracted to that aspect. Right. So, you know, even a few years ago, I never really shared too much of my mold stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, and when I went to London, it went really well and I still didn't push it thereafter. And then, you know, kind of Rick and a few others, Beth has always been supportive of me and you should do it. You should do it. Mm -hmm. And and then kind of, you know, of course, when Rick asks you after he joins Instagram, of course, you're showing your pictures now. You know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, baby. I'm, yeah, you know. I love you, Beth. Um, but Beth has always been, and Beth was right, because you can find the community that is into it in the same way. Mm-hmm. 
like Instagram has been that way for me. I'm hoping I can gain momentum and just do more with it. Like you do with your painting and you found a community. Right. You know, yeah. I do think that the communities are very similar. Like mm-hmm. I listen to the painters and the artists that you have and I'm like, yep, yep. That's <laughs> a good idea. Yeah. Even if you're talking about how, like maybe a procedure dealing with uh, like oils and right, the way that yeah. you got to do this. Yeah. Like I, and I'm like, oh, when I was using that one urethane, it wasn't doing this correctly. And totally, maybe, man. Yeah, like, yeah. That's a, that's another this, another thing about Rick's is, is that when I got to Rick's was I re- realized that Rick's shop was like a, a an art studio. It was like an old school atelier, I guess they used to call them, where it was yeah. like a, a real art studio. You know, I never yeah. really saw a shop as an art studio until I got to Rick's because the, 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 you know, for, for old school artists, it's like all that stuff was like the same, you know, sculpture, yes. painting, molds. It was all part of what art was, you know what I mean? And yeah. they, you'd have a studio yeah. and it'd be like, you know, that's not like they're all part of the same thing. They're not separate things if that makes any sense i don't know if that makes any sense it's like there's yeah, no, all kinds it. of crossover between sculpture and painting and and mold making was a huge part of the sculpture tradition and fine art and it's like it, all of that took place in an art studio and it was all the same yeah. thing you know and i still so, kind of see it that way i think the importance and this is one of my you know like look when i was 13 i said i want to go work for that guy and when I met Moto, I said, this is the guy that's going to train me to do the job. And then I got good enough. And my goal was, like, I wanted to learn how these things were done, but I wanted to be a part of it. Right, right, you know, right. We used, we used to read about all the, well, that was made, but cut from the film. That mm-hmm. was made, but the design was changed. And, and I'm like, man, and I just wanted to be in the room. Right. <laughs> and, I want, and I wanted to work for certain people, you know? Yeah. And. So my goal was, I want to get to a point where that guy looks at me and says, mold this. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now that I've gotten there, it's kind of like, I just want other people to, you know, it's like you paint. It's like, I just want more, like, look, mold making is centuries old. Right. You go to Europe and you look at all the bronze statues that people like Gunner and Gunner's dad and Gunner's granddad. I got pictures of them molding stuff in the twenties in Copenhagen. Wow. you know, like my granddad, what he did. It's like, you can't have all that beautiful art without a mold. Right, exactly. The bronze statues, guess what? They all come from a mold. Yep. And I just chose to use a, a craft that I love to use the wise. Well, I just wanted to meet my heroes, I guess. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just to cut to the chase. Yeah, to be a part of it, like you said. That's a perfect right. perfect way to put it. You know, you want it, you see something you love and you want to be involved you know, it's like yeah. movies and that basically for, for, for us, I think a big part of it, whether it's, you know, making molds, sculpting, being a, a painter that's into monsters or whatever. It's like for, for a lot of us, it started with movies. I think that's probably one of the, the big threads. I, I have yet to interview an artist on here that hasn't loved movies and loved, you know, horror movies and horror comics and stuff like that. It's like, they were really coming of age in the seventies too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like there was like, you know, everybody probably looks at their own, you know, era in a certain way. Right. But the, the one thing that I will say is, you know, the test of time. Exactly. It's the only real test. 
It's the test right? of time. So, okay, there was a lot of cool things in the 90s. Do people still talk about it or watch it? Maybe less. Right. Like the, like the 80s, the something, the 70s. Like, there's a reason why some of the stuff that we're fond of was before our lifetime, and they'll be talking about it after our Right, lifetime. yeah, yeah. That's all. I mean, you know, and for myself, it's like, I've always, like, once I think I got to a point with Rick, it's like, you know, in Kazu, it's like, when Kazu wanted to do his own personal work, Mm-hmm. You know, it started with the Dick Smith and, uh, you know, I tried to help him out as much as I could with like maybe all the way up until the, the dolly somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just people that I admire, I want to help. Right. So, you know, and I still see and work with Kazu on occasion, which is it's cool. I love that. Look at where he's come. I know. It's, like it's amazing. It's amazing. Yourself with your painting. It's like, you know, like people used to look at Rick and think like, oh, stupid CGI. Rick had to retire. It's like Rick tried to tell you that it was a different circumstance and now he's proved it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like, I just want to do my own stuff. He's like, oh, stupid CGI. Rick had to retire. Now look, look just if you don't follow Rick, Ray, you just go follow him. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's like... You take what we used to look and see in magazines and then just you get it every day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Every, every, every and, and there's other artists out there, you know. And like these days, you know, I'm I'm working for Vince Van Dyke. Who, yeah, he's great. He's amazing. Super, super he's cool just, dude. Yeah, he's mature and talented beyond his years. Yeah, he's yeah, really totally. Old school, you know. Yep. And he's like... He's in it for the same reasons of those that I've worked for in the past, and those I admire them all for all the same reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, they it, like quality matters. Yep. Uh, you don't always get the time, but let's see how good we can make this. And that's it's that's a good. Yeah, that's a function of the industry more than anything else. Yeah. It's like the re. I think you know part of the reason Rick stopped doing it is because the industry changed so much, and yes. he, he wasn't able to do it. It's it wasn't fun for him if he couldn't do it right. Right. And it's like, you got to respect that. I also yeah. think that he would probably have preferred to like, he's well off because of the big shot. But like, I, like I used to, when, when we were in the big shop, I used to think man, that American werewolf era must've been like just five a year. Yeah. In a shop. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in a small shop, I'm like, you know, and kind of get that with his Halloween things now, like Arian helps him. And, mm-hmm. you know, like one year Bart Mixon went over there and helped Rick with his makeup. And, you know, it's fun to like, when you get older and you've known all of these people for so long, it's nice to, you know, I admire those of us that are still into it. Still yeah, love yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, totally. like no matter what it is, it's like, however technology changes, it's like the, the, the motivations are the same for me. Mm-hmm. I usually, I, I want to find someone that where quality matters, including appreciating and respecting the tech work. Right. Right. And I just and they're in it for the right reasons. I, I want to look back on what I'm contributing on with pride. Right. Yeah. And and there's been still like, you know, innovation. We worked on so many like Wild Wild West. And it, it like, you know, some movies are like, what the damn, <laughs> if we, damn if we didn't have a good time working on exactly, it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That sense of community was strong. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. even when there was, like, something ridiculous, it was part of the... I mean, you, you remember Dog Poop Face? 
Oh, Men in Black too. Yeah, cool. <laughs> it's like, like literal. No, Mitch is like, I want to talk about it every day. Can I sculpt that? Because oh, <laughs> it was know, so stupid, he wanted to sculpt a dog shit face. <laughs> uh, like, I, I, what I one of my memories from Men in Black two involve an apple box, a hamster, <laughs> and a flashlight. <laughs> No, it was well, a bird. It was a bird, we, not a hamster. Uh, oh, was it a bird? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh no 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 no. No, I'm getting it confused. It was a okay. mouse, an apple box, and Brandon had caught yes. a bird the week before, so it was like okay. that's why how he became the victim. Because it's like, oh, you're good at catching animals. Can you come and catch this mouse in the are apple box? Are people are listening and they're going, what the fuck? I know. It's like, <laughs> I think I've told that story before. I think I've told it on here again. But uh, I, I'll, yeah. tell, I'll tell it quickly because it, it was amazing. Mitch and I, uh, Mitch Devane and I, we had an apple box that had a hole in the top and the bottom. And we, and we basically farted in this apple box. <laughs> Mitch is a very gassy guy. <laughs> Known for his nasty farts. So we collected farts in this box every day, covered the hole up. After you'd sit at the box of fart, this is disgusting. You sit on the box of fart and then you'd cover it with this. He had like a a notebook or something so that it wouldn't escape all day. It was a day's worth of farts. And if anybody that knows Mitch, Mitch could fart a lot. Especially after lunch, so yeah. then we got the the uh, unsuspecting victim, um, Brendan. Is it? It was Brandon Weiner. Brandon, yeah. Brandon. I'm sorry, yeah, Brandon. He, he 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 caught a bird the day before or the week before that was in the shop and let it out. And so Mitch is like that. The plan was Mitch is going to ask him, "Hey, there's a mouse. We got a mouse in this box. Can you get it, get it and uh, catch it and take it outside?" And he was like, you know so eager to help and it was <laughs> put his glove leather gloves on yeah no problem man he comes over with the flashlight he, and he's like moves the looks over the hole to see it moves the notebook out of the way and goes yeah. dude that reeks it just like hit him at once like a bomb in his face it was like the most amazing practical joke I've ever been involved in. Right. He came into the mold shop day after and it took him a while to regain consciousness. <laughs> I, just, I remember, like, you know, it's. I think sometimes it's important, like, you know, because people, like that story, people are like, what? I'm like, yeah, I just remember walking past the sculpting area and I look over and Chet was sitting on an apple box reading the book. And he's like, oh, hey, Rob. I'm like, hey, Chet. And I can't walk. <laughs> You know, like people, I think it's important that, like, I know that sounds silly and stupid, but <laughs> it was we so had funny. F- fucking so much fun. Oh my it. God. Yeah. It, w- it w- That's the thing. It was like, stuff like that happened every day. It was oh, really yeah. fun. It was like people fucking around doing fun- funny things. I mean, I laughed so much working there. It was yeah. just like, it was amazing. The, 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 the one situation that was like maybe less funny for myself uh, was, well, it, it was entertaining, but when Kazu did the uh, for Haunted Mansion, remember the talking bust makeup tests? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were they were doing them on me, right? Right. So, uh, so my head's all covered. My eyelashes had little appliances on it because I can't have body hair. So, you right. know, poor Kazu had to put up with my shit. Sorry, Kazu, I'm a twitchy dude. <laughs> uh, you, you want me to sit still for four hours right. in a makeup chair? <laughs> all right, someone should have gave Kazu an Oscar early on for that. <laughs> um, getting, prepping so, you for for working with Jim Carrey. 
That's it. Well, this I was, was prepping him. So he, sh- he should have been used <laughs> to it. Right, right. I'm not that bad. <laughs> Jesus. Well, some may argue with you, but um, what happened was, and uh, so they finished the makeup test on me. They bring me down onto the shop floor down by the graveyard out in the open space area. They got a backdrop. I guess Bill Sturgeon had recorded the song on a CD and they wanted me to sing the song. So they go through a four hour makeup process. They put me in the chair. They hit play on the CD. So it's a, oh, do, do, Grim Grinigos come out to socialize. Yeah. Uh-huh. I didn't know the lyrics. <laughs> and, Rick's, and Rick's like, okay, go ahead and sing along. And I'm like, dude, I don't know the words. He's like, what do you mean you don't know the words? And I'm like, I don't know the words to the song. I can, yeah, everybody can hum it. I know the name of the tune. And Rick's like, are you fucking kidding me? And I'm like, no. So poor Kazu, he had to redo the makeup like three days later. Oh, no. And what had happened was is um, Bill Sturgeon had taken the song and looped it. And then gave it to me with, with like the lyrics printed out on a piece of paper. And he's like, Rick said, make sure you memorize this by Wednesday. (laughs) And so, like, you know, when I did get the makeup done the second time, you know, Kazu, poor guy, is looking at me, he's like, I don't believe you. Why didn't you know the words? Didn't they tell you? And I'm like, look, if they would have told me ahead of time, I would have memorized. There's not that much to it. I just, yeah, I didn't expect it. And just sitting in that chair, and having the whole stop, like the whole studio is looking at you going, what do you mean you don't know the lyrics? I'm like, am I the one person in the whole shop? <laughs> right. Yeah. So if you're, in the, if you're an effects geek, everybody, you have to know that song. That's, that was, that's the attitude. Everybody knows that song. It's just taken for granted. Yeah. Now, well, I, there you go. I got, yeah. I was a ghost. Uh, I, I, I'm going to let you go. And if we're like, going really long which is great for the podcast but i don't want to you know to no, we're okay. push, push I, you look, I, I don't mind long form if okay. you're okay with it cool tell cool, a story. cool. Yeah, um yeah. I, I you remember i was one of the ghosts in hunter mansion yeah. uh, i i sculpted my own makeup it was like an old kind of like an old man and um and uh i was kind of doing it i don't know why i agreed to do it bill just asked me you want to be a ghost and i was like okay and um, <laughs> and I'm in the graveyard scene. I think I'm pouring tea. Me and uh, this actress are like having tea, and it's like you barely see us in the background. I think I was all trying to get my my insurance for my SAG hours. I think is what it was, um, which it ended up not even applying to. But I I so you know the makeup looked cool and i went on set and it was like and i was in front of green screen right and then he's yeah. like okay just like pretend like you're wa-. and it was it, right before me it was john alexander is that his name that actor yes. yeah he yes. was one of the ghosts and it was like yeah. and he's a fucking actor and he's like doing it you know just with ease no pro yeah. you know just like like a professional actor would do that yeah. you, ha- you have to have this kind of like lack of total self total lack of self-consciousness to just let go and be natural and it was like okay it's your turn and it's and it's like i don't fucking have that i don't have that lack of self-confidence confidence in that way with acting and i got up there and and so they're like okay pretend like you're walking and i'm like <laughs> i must look like a fucking idiot i was so yeah. lame and i just couldn't i was so self-conscious because i'm standing in front of a film crew 
And it was yes. like, it hit me. It's like, oh my God, okay, this is what acting is. It's really, you know, it's more about letting your guard down and really not giving a fuck and just being able to like play act really. Because it, yes. it, it was just so, so terrible. It was such a terrible experience. I felt like such an idiot and embarrassed and like, I am not... I, I don't have that like ability to to not feel like uh, self conscious in that way when people are looking at me. When it's something like that, you know, if I was to go and give a talk, which I've done before, if it's about yeah. my my artwork and something I know about, it's like it's not a problem at all. But mm. when it comes to like acting, it was it was it was embarrassing. <laughs> well, it's it's also an odd feeling when we get put in those little moments of when we realize that we're ill prepared. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly. All that's how, that's like, how I you felt, know, really. You get older, and it, like it just happens less mm. often. Yeah, right. Yeah, like you, you giggle about, like you know, I don't know the lyrics. What I'm like, what you just want me to make facial expressions, and then even after I learn the lyrics, it's like you want me to perform while singing. Yeah, like, exactly, exactly. Dude, and I can't move my shoulders because remember my head, you're a concrete statue. I'm like, so how am I supposed to be acting then? If I, you know, because then my literal side's like, wait, if I made a concrete, should I be moving around? What are you doing in there? I'm like, I'm thinking, and I can't stop the wheels. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all good fun, man. Yeah. yeah, it's just, you know, you have a new community now. It's cool. Yeah. It's similar, though. You I know? know, I know. Well, that's why, you know, I want to, uh, it's the same, like I said, with the conjoined shows, it was like, I wanted to kind of like bring the two together because they're so, because they're both my friends now. It's like, you know, it's like my yeah. makeup effects friends and my artist, fine artist friends. It's like, they're both so similar. It's like, I'd love to, for them to, you know how when you have friends that are, don't know each other, you want them all to be friends because you like them both, you know? So it's like, let's all be well, friends. Especially <laughs> if you know enough about the both sides, right. or both circles rather, and you know that they're going to get along. Exactly. It's like, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, exactly. art, like artwork, is, like for me, it's like, you know, the one time, well, not the one time, uh, where I miss art is album covers. Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, yeah. that's kind of like comics and, you know, eerie and cre like, you know, like we talked about like Frazetta and stuff like that. And like, I'm sure it's probably very similar for most people our age. Right. You know, like the Frazettas and the Giggers. But, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's there's a different side to those artists as well. Like you can go deep. Yeah. yeah. And and, you know, it's just like a band, you, like, you know, the songs they played on the radio. Mm -hmm. And then you get older and you start listening to their like other albums and other songs and you're like wow now well now you get why people are still listening to right it. right right you just got to go deep and artwork it's it's tough you just you, like for myself it's like i have different moods and so i just if i'm not attracted to a certain artistic style in that mood i'll just mm -hmm. it's not a personal it's not personal with that artist i'm just gonna right. browse and absorb some of you know yeah I think yeah yeah i i've learned i can't remember all their names because there are like a lot of artists on your like that i've learned through your podcast mm. oh cool like patreon mm -hmm. um you know like some of them it's the detail that grabs you right um some of it it's the, their choice of colors yeah yeah i like that like there's a difference mm -hmm. um some of them i like you know like some of their artwork is like you know when they show partials mm -hmm. because you want to see something in the foreground and like who is this guy Patrick Woodruff. 
You probably never heard of it. No. Um, it's there was a book in my high school library right up there with Richard Corson's stage makeup, yeah. the ones that I used to just rent over yeah. and over and Same. you know keep late fees and all that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Patrick Woodruff was a. Uh, he, I learned of him because he did the album cover for Sad Wings of Destiny. I don't know Judas that one. Priest. Oh, oh, it's the, oh okay, it, it, right, right. It's, it's like the fallen angel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very like brown and warm colors, and uh-huh. the, the angels with the broken wings. Yeah. Um, Judas Priest album cover, and then a friend of mine comes up with a book, and when I'm looking at the book, the colors, the vibrancy, and all, okay, this guy did a lot of acid. Right. Like, holy <laughs> shit! Look at this imagery. I'm like, you wouldn't have got that from the Judas Priest album cover. Right. Right. And that, like, to yeah. me, it was just one of those artists to where it's like, I'm looking and it's like, yeah. Oh, uh, that was a huge, that was probably, aside from comics, that was the biggest um, the uh, exposure I had to artwork when I was a kid was album covers, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, that yeah. was, you know, that was why you bought the album, usually. If you didn't know the band and the album cover was amazing, I mean, that's how they yeah. sold albums. So it's like, it had to be good. My first Iron Maiden was bought just because of that. Yep, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, Eddie the head, Ed the head. Who's that's fucking cool. Yeah, that. exactly. You know? I was like, what, eleven years old, and my mom's like, what is that? I'm like, it's, it's awesome. It's, yeah, it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the Frazetta book covers. I mean, they they knew oh, yeah. they knew a good thing when they had it. People over and over a year, people saying how they. Um, bought all those books because of the covers. They saw the the amazing Frank Frazetta book covers. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's there's a lot out there, and I think that I just enjoy browsing sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. got to take the time a little bit. It's, oh, there's it's, so much it, art out now. It's with the, with the internet. It's crazy. There's like almost yeah, like an art overload. It's you know? hard too because, like, when you, when I do see something I like, I really you know, I mean, whether it's a painting or even like mold work, like you know, I search out a lot of mold makers. Mm-hmm. Cause, but I like to, you know, like we talked about when we were kids, looking at those pictures and studying the backgrounds. Right. Like, you see that picture of Dick Smith on The Exorcist? Did you see on the second shelf over on the left side? Can you read the label on that jar? Right. Like, <laughs> like these were real conversations. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, you know, it's it's harder for me sometimes to just, like, find a new artist and then maybe scroll a little bit and find a couple of their pieces that – you know, like talk to you a little bit, right. but give it the time to like, you know, like you got to go in it a little bit. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is where, where, uh, galleries are so important going and seeing, going yes. to a show and seeing paintings is a whole different trip. And it's like seeing the thing out in front of you and being like, that's the just like going to a movie theater is the way to see a movie. Going to a gallery is a way to see the best yeah. way to see artwork. I mean, we, we can't do that right now, but but that's why galleries will always be valuable because it's like, you, yeah. you know, you've been to plenty of art shows. You know how it is. Oh, when, yeah. when you see an amazing piece in front of you and you're like, wow, some dude made that from nothing, you know, just yeah. – and it's well, flat, there's more, but it looks there's, real. There, there's context that has nothing to do with the image that you're looking at, like the strokes and like the, right. like the more you learn about it, the more you see. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Like most things, the like the little details and stuff. You know, like if, sometimes I get comments even with my own work. It's like, well, why didn't you just put up a picture of the whole mold? I'm like, because people miss this. Right, right. 
So I cropped the picture, and I don't really want to spell it all out for you, but it, basically some of my posts are like a little worm on a fishing hook. Right. And it's exciting, like, when, when you put something out, like maybe you on one of your paintings you did a little something-something. Oh, yeah. And, like, and most people see it, and it's like they don't tell you it, they don't say it, they don't say it. And then that one person says, hey, Chet, you know that little thing there? Yeah. I, I, I noticed this. Right. And you're kind of like, see? Yep. <laughs> I don't need a lot of people to see it, but it is kind of cool, like, those little details when someone, like, you know, just someone randomly texts you out of nowhere and says, hey, what was up with that? I'm like, well, since you asked, I'll explain. Right. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for noticing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And this is how I find people of like minds. Yeah. So now I'll go to your page and I'm going to look at your mold work and I'll comment. And they're like, oh, my God, I got you know, like, look, in the end, we're just mold makers, dude. Right. <laughs> I, got, I got to work with certain people. And OK, that's cool. And but it, it's OK if I ask you questions. <laughs> but, Do, you know, yeah, right, like, right, some, right. It's a little sometimes that's like, you know, especially younger people that may know uh, who I've worked for before who I am. Right. Do you, do you, do you find younger people like that are just totally in the mold like you? Um, I don't, regardless of age, I think it's just rare. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of my favorite, like the highlights for me, um, uh, working at Vince's is Carl Lyon. And mm, you okay. could, I know, I know, uh, I know, I know him. I know the name. Yeah. He's got a second page, too, because he's been sculpting a lot. His uh -huh. sculpture is getting really, really fantastic. Cool, cool. But, and, you know, even, like, Vince, like, I think some of the people I've worked for and with, like, even Kazu or, like, Arian or, like, Rick or, like, even, you know, Vince Van Dyke, I think they're more knowledgeable about molds than a lot of mold makers. I right, know. yeah, yeah. It's kind of amazing. Uh, I mean, you know, you talked about Rick setting up that studio in such a way like it's an artist studio. It's like, well, every department was set up a certain way because, well, Rick knows how to do all the different tasks. Exactly. And then you go to some shops. Like This is just from my own opinion about what I notice. Like, you know, if you're a painter, you're going to expect certain tools and this and that. Right. Like you can walk into an area and tell something about the artist. Right. And then so if you walk into a shop, sometimes it tells you a lot about the person that set the shop up. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, like that's what, what yeah. they do. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what I uh, – one of the amazing things about <clears throat> Rick was is that we – and we know this because we saw all the pictures when we were little kids. It's like <laughs> he would do every – you know, I think there's been pictures out there of him doing every everything, like yeah. injecting foam – Oh, yeah. yeah, that dude was running foam. He was doing molds. He was seaming. He was doing hair. He was doing, he could do everything. So it's like when you, it's, I found that it was uh, easier to work for someone that you knew, knew every aspect of everything, you know, or had some degree yeah. of, you know, really you knew that like, if I had to, I could step in and, and, and do do what you're doing, basically. So it's like, yes. you know, I, I like working for guys like that because it's like, I don't know. It just, it, it, it uh, I've always preferred it. Yeah, yeah. I like the, and, and also it, it, I, I don't require, but I love uh, shop talk. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, you want me to do, like, you hired me. You want me to do this. Yes, I know what I'm doing, but I would like to, uh, 
have a conversation and talk about like different parameters and options. And right. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of my favorite conversations are just employer employee, mm-hmm. a little shop talk before I start. And then I'll put my headphones on and I'll do it. Right. You know, and I, I usually prefer, like I can always tell when I'm not mentally involved with what I'm doing because I'm talking, to <laughs> but, but it, I like challenging jobs and I like to be in it and just, you know, put on the right music and find that group. Yeah, I mean that's 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 your meditation right there, you know. It's it like, is. It, it's, yeah. That's one thing about I, and I've always said this. You can go back and listen. Um, I I love. I've always loved making molds. I've always it's for some reason I just found it really fun to do it right and to take your time yes. and do it really well. There's just something so satisfying about cracking open a new mold that's done right that's not fucked up <laughs> and looking mm. at the surface and like, Oh, there's no bubbles. It just feels so good. It's a weird feeling. I, I don't know. It's, 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 but I've always loved it. It's like the only reason I don't do it now is because of time. I just don't have the time to do it. So, but I do enjoy well, the, uh, the process a lot. I like casting. I like doing, you know, casting stuff in urethanes and I, yeah. I enjoy the, I'm I'm like, I've always been a really tech nerd. I'm very interested in how things work, and 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 so that's one of the things that was, I thought was so cool about effects, and why it suited me so um, so well when I was younger is like, it was art and, um, tech. You know, like uh, it's a blend. Yeah, it's it's equally this art and craft thing, and this art and technology yeah. or, or technical knowledge, and it's like I'm totally I love technical knowledge. I love that. It's like I'm not. Yeah. It's not, I, I'm not, you know, it definitely when I was younger too, at this point in my career, it's more about like a creative, fully about creative expression, but I really, um, enjoy, uh, enjoyed my time in effects. I enjoyed the technical side as much as the, the artistic side. I just like that. I like problem solving and, yeah. and understanding how things work and, 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 and figure, you know, figuring out a, uh, you know, just, it's like you said, it's like a puzzle, you know? figuring out the puzzle yeah. it's fun yeah sometimes i gotta turn that part off but yeah i mean <laughs> i just if, if you get in a room with people that are, are into the same stuff and you know you work together to you know like produce something that's always i mean when i was a kid i looked at people that did it and i thought wow what they made was cool and i thought i would like to work with them to make something cool mm-hmm. and then you get there and people like you know sometimes it's like okay check that box and then now what am I going to do? Or I just, there's, if you look hard enough and like, you have to apply filters. And for me, it's just, I like working with people that know their shit. Right. And I like working for and with people that where quality matters. Right. And you know, you're like, well, we didn't really have the time. or Like if something's cool, you shouldn't have to talk about time or money. Right. Like how long did it take you to paint that? I'm like, I don't know. It's awesome. If he's really fast, they would be good on him. Right. But, you know, sometimes I just like just let what it is say what it's going to say. Right. And I think sometimes people start to second guess things, or maybe they know they're not into it as much. It's just well, then that's just the way you are. It's okay. Right. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, if you don't like molds, that's okay too. Right, exactly. I, it, it, like you know, people look at me. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it's a weird curse. Like, you want to be a mold maker? I'm like, 
you know? Yeah, I'm the, like, when I travel, I get excited when I'm going through a business area and I see white, dirty footprints. Right. <laughs> right? Like, I was in Europe and I saw white, dirty footprints. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm near somebody's working with plaster. I'm like, maybe I'm near a foundry or something cool. Right, right, right. Yeah. All right. That's this hilarious. Is a long one, dude. Yeah, I know. Okay, let's end it. Let's end it. This is this is getting yeah. to the. Uh, we're at three hours. This is going to be one of the longest episodes we've ever done. Um, well, you know what? I, I I would like to say that that surprises me, but I that's just how I am. I talk. <laughs> I knew I knew it would be uh, it would be yeah. easy it's with you. It's good to talk to you, man. Yeah, you too. It's great to see you and and um, and get that enthusiasm again from you. That, I, I, hey, love, I love to get that. It, from, it's all art. It's, a, it's just totally, just, man. That's all it is. It's yeah. just, it's just, it's like sometimes the hard part is like, you know, the influence of what other people enjoy is compared to what you enjoy. Mm-hmm. And if it's yeah, different, right. it's okay. Like people used to always tell me, it's like, dude, it's just a mold. It's not art. I'm like, well, you ain't getting an art piece out of it if it's not a good mold. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I said, you know, like I said, I, 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 I always, uh, I, you know, enjoyed just about every, every aspect of the effects, makeup effects, you know, that's why I liked it so much. It's like, I liked all the different steps involved and, uh, I don't know. I just, I've always felt an affinity with mold making because it's so hard, especially at first. And oh my God, (laughs) I got to tell you this one time. Okay. And then I'll let you go. One time, one of my early molds, I bought some Adrub. Remember Adrub? It's yes. a, it was a red urethane, right? Yeah. Back in the days of Black Tuffy. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was from the Tom Savini book is where I got it. Yeah. Got the idea. Okay. So I was going to mold my – I finally got a good head cast because the first one I did was plaster on my face, the whole <sighs> pulling out the eyebrows and eyelashes, even though I did use Vaseline. But um, yeah. <clears throat> So I finally got a good one, and I was going to mold it. I was so excited. I saved up all my money, got some Adrub, put it on a table – built clay around it, made a mother mold, a matrix mother mold. Like I was doing it right. Took the clay out, cleaned it out, put it on top. And I didn't strap the mold down or seal it in any way. So I poured it through the uh, top. Like, and, yeah. and I was like, okay, I'm all done. And I went, I left. I mean, it's probably like 15 or 16 or something. And I was yeah. so excited I, I when I left. And then I came back in the room and it just all leaked out the bottom, all this ad rub red urethane all just it, the whole thing just leaked obviously because i didn't i don't even think i secured the head down on the piece mm. of the table i would and it was just it like happens. you do that once and then you don't do it again <laughs> but you have to do it at some point yes. it's like everybody does these terrible fuck-ups and it's like and they're expensive fuck-ups especially when you're like a hobbyist trying to learn this and oh, it's yeah. and it's it crushes your your soul but then when you get it and you do it right it's so rewarding you know so rewarding to pull a fresh mold and all this potential it's potential it's like i can make so many cool casts out of this mold you know i still get a kick out of seeing my friends like you know like norman and those guys doing latex out of high i know i know it's great it's so cool we're we're making masks and i'm like yeah that's where it all started i know 70s halloween masks Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, cool. I'm so jealous of those dudes. Yeah. It's like I want to make a rubber, a latex mask so bad. It's like you can. I know. It's just you, you, you we'll know. See. It's a time hey, thing. I will finish eventually. the book, dude. Yeah, because you were talking book. about 
like like it's it's nearing like oh you it's know? so close i think i got a new update i, I saw i saw in the dropbox i got updated right, so it's... we were talking about that in your, your uh, last one with mike yeah and uh it's so close it's so close it's... almost that's gonna help dude gonna yeah help. it's gonna be cool it's if nothing else it's gonna to be it. cool yeah if nothing else it's gonna be great but i think other things will come of it Okay. Anyway, I'm gonna let you go. Right. We could keep talking for four, four more hours, but man, I, I think know, that's just—it's my curse. <laughs> You're easy to talk to, man. You're, uh, uh, thanks. Yeah, it goes both ways. I really enjoyed this, dude. I really did. Oh, good, good. Me too. It was like super fun for me. I feel nice, and uh, I I always feel energized after these good interviews. It's like you, they leave. Yeah, yeah I, I, like... I appreciate it because I'm I'm a big fan of you. You know, I read about you when I was a kid. And, doing dark man and all oh, that really? so yeah <laughs> cool. and then into the painting like remember doing the tool videos from Cinovation. right and, yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's been a cool road it's nice to see uh you know i yeah, like you, seeing friends succeed yeah oh yeah yeah definitely now you that yeah. i think about it you were kind of there during all these pivotal oh, points yeah. in my career <laughs> it was like tool video deciding to become a fine artist all happened yeah. at rick's that was all during the rick time what a trip yeah. Wow. Well, All right, dude. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, uh, it's yeah. Awesome talking to you. Really excellent episode. Don't hang up on when I stop the recording, though, because I, I didn't, I didn't warn you about that. I'm still recording. So, yes, I want to just oh. thank you for coming on. It was an awesome yeah. interview. Um, yeah. I so. think anybody still listening, like, just let me know, and I owe you a dollar. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. This is more content, man. This is bonus content. Uh, thanks for listening to all those yes, people out yes. there that are still there. Say goodbye. And I appreciate being a part of the community, dude. Right on, man. Well, we appreciate I having do. you. Yeah. Um, all right. That was great. So, so thank you, audience. Say goodbye. Thank you, audience. Okay. Bye bye, audience. <laughs>